Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined by Tom Kennett. Hopefully we should have Keenan joining us a little later. The matchup we'll be getting into this week is 1995's Casino versus 1991's Boys in the Hood. Now, there were plenty of quotes that I could have done a tailored intro for here, but the last few haven't gone down very well, so... That's put me on the back burner a bit, and uh, I figured if the last one didn't go down well, impersonating De Niro probably isn't my best place to begin the comeback. So we'll see how next week goes. I mean, even more bold if you try and impersonate Ice Cube. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot There's a lot more I can't say. Although, if I open the podcast calling you a Jew fuck, like Pesci does for the majority <laughs> of this film, maybe that wouldn't go down too well either. I had forgotten how rife the anti-Semitism was in this film. Yeah, from De Niro, who seems to be playing it like every other Italian mobster that he's ever played, but that could be a whole other topic. Mm. So we do actually have some news of the week this week, and I believe it was a podcast that I did with Keenan and Sean, where I told them that Paranormal Activity 8 was about to be released. Eight? Yeah. <laughs> And in the same kind of spirit, uh, no pun intended, Insidious 5 has just officially wrapped filming. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's spinning me out too. I, I legit thought there were two Insidious films. I don't really get it. Obviously, there is somewhat of a market for these because they keep doing them. Hmm. But yeah, very, very baffling. Something a little more in our wheelhouse. Owen Wilson says that original Wedding Crashes director David Dobkin, friend of the pod, is exploring some ideas for Wedding Crashes too, but there has been no start on a script just yet. Shouldn't we just going to get this forever, like like an Oasis reunion? Well, yeah, our our interview with him was, what, two and a half years ago, maybe? Yeah. Which is horrible to think about, to be honest. Mm. Um, But he said at the time that, I'm pretty sure he said they had a meeting scheduled Yeah, where they already had a lot of ideas and it was just about putting things down on paper now. Obviously, the meeting didn't happen. I don't know if they saw Eurovision maybe and thought, whoa, (laughs) give it a minute. (laughs) But unfortunately, there's the delay there. Something which is both a positive and a negative, I guess, is every single one of these have spoken about it have shown a desire to do it but also shared how intimidating it is to try and top the first film so if they're in their heads too much i'm not sure we're going to get the film that we're hoping for yeah that's the concern isn't it yes i like that they are yeah respecting it enough that they're not just going to do it willy-nilly but would we would the final products I don't, I don't know. I'll be nervous. Yeah. I know uh, Val Kilmer, maybe a, a year or a bit more ago, had quite a serious operation. And that's why he was only in a short moment of the new Top Gun, if I'm not mistaken. That's, that's right, isn't it? 
Yeah, correct. He's acknowledged that he probably can't go for any big roles anymore, but in the same interview said that he wants to play Batman again and he wants to see Heat 2 get made. Right. So I'm not sure <laughs> if he's just I mean, chucking it out there and seeing what happens because he's the only surviving member of the crew from Heat. From the that's film. That's crazy. Not actually from the actors, but he's the last one that survived. He's the only one that survives, I think, in the film. Yeah, because they all get, they all get yeah. killed. I'm not sure how they're going to uh, work around it. But uh, no, I mean, it was crazy in terms of him saying this because with yeah. all due respect, he, he can't speak. The no. nature of his thing is that he can't speak. So they were they worked around it in the Top Gun film, mm. um, having like a voice thing. Yeah. But uh, you couldn't do that in, in any other film. No, he, he, he did acknowledge in there that essentially he can't play these, but just said, look, if they want to speak to me, then they well, I'm happy to have the conversation, or maybe not have the conversation. It's no nice way to be having this. No, no nice way to be saying this. You brought it up. Yeah. Um, that's what happens when you don't read past the headline. <laughs> me and Keenan have both spoken about the fact that we are going to get the Heat 2 book. I think both of us said we were going to get it on payday, and I know that his character, from what I gather, is almost the main character in Heat 2 because of the reasons we've just stated. So it's not like it would be a cameo role in the sense that he's had in the new Top Gun either. Well, he's pretty fundamental, isn't he? So. Exactly. Uh, Olivia Wilde has broken her silence about firing Shia LaBeouf from her new movie. Uh, if you don't know the film, Shia LaBeouf was originally playing Harry Styles' role in that Don't Worry Darling film that you may have seen advertised with Florence yeah. Pugh. Uh she said, his process was not conducive to the ethos that I demand in my productions. He has a process that in some ways seems to require a combative energy. And I don't personally believe that is conducive to the best performances. A lot came to light after this happened that really troubled me. In terms of his behaviour, particularly with a movie like this, I knew I was going to be asking Florence to be in a very vulnerable situation. And my priority was making her feel safe and making her feel supported. So it sounds like he's been off on one again he was doing all sorts i know i literally just said i don't go past the headlines but i thought it played in well with the research that we had about his antics while filming lawless Mm. and it seems he's not changed um so i've broken the rules there you could even say there are three ways to do things the right way the wrong way and the way i do it so have i broken any rules uh, Quentin Tarantino has mentioned the possibility of a Rambo First Blood remake being his 10th film. He'd like Adam Driver to play Rambo and Kurt Russell to star as the sheriff. Oh, don't, don't do it. It's your 10th film. Don't. <laughs> well, the, the talk of it has been that because he claims that Kill Bill only counts as one film for him, would he count a remake as a film and he may use it as a loophole? But Nice. Nice. I'm, I'm not too sure. I like that the analogies that he uses about only having 10 films are usually sporting related where he says, look, the, you don't get better with time. And <laughs> in terms of filmmaking, you actually might do. Yeah, yeah. But he says he doesn't want to have that reputation as being someone where, oh, I wish that guy had finished so long ago. You wonder if that might be one of those lofty ambitions as well, like a boxer who says they're going to retire at 30. Yeah. And you think, you might intend on doing this, but when you get there, it's, it's a different spot. Because what, he's already spoken about this. He's still talking about doing the uh, Django and Zorro film. Yeah. 
there's probably more projects he's being offered than any time previously when you look at almost the lack of blockbusters that we have at the moment. I'd be very surprised if he only does 10. He may do a Mayweather like retirement more than a Tyson Fury one. <laughs> yeah. The thought of him we, doing a Rambo I don't think is I need, great. Yeah, yeah, I just don't know if we need a Rambo film. The Rambo films are done. <laughs> and then we've, we know Tarantino violent films as well. I think we know what these two things look like. I don't think we really need them together because I've got an idea what that looks like as well. How many of the Rambo I, films have you seen? I've seen definitely the original three. Have okay. I seen one of the more recent two that came out? I think I may have. I've seen... I thought, Sly is so old, what am I doing? I've seen the first two because the first one is almost the opposite of the reputation they all have, where only like one person dies on screen, don't they? Hmm. Um, yeah. And then it goes a bit crazy after that. I was actually going to go back and watch them only after seeing a clip from one of those uh, Joey Diaz appearances on the Rogan podcast where he really sells it as this is the best piece of filmmaking you will ever see. (laughs) But then I also did see a clip of him today saying that everyone complains about needing a shit when they get in the shower and he had a phase of just shitting while he was in the shower. (laughs) And if anything, he would put it, take it in his hands and put it in the toilet (laughs) or force it down alongside a bar of soap. (laughs) That's incredible. What a grubby man. Yeah, and also probably isn't in his top five weirdest things. So once you no, hit his stage, yeah. you can probably say anything. The beauty of that is you must feel like no shame of anything. Yeah. Once you've done that, everything's up. By the yeah. way, the, the fun thing watching now with Rambo 3 is that uh, that's in Afghanistan where they're helping out the Afghans against the Soviets. And the end of it is paying tribute to the brave Afghani people. So quite a, quite a time capsule. Probably wouldn't be an American film now, would it? They'd probably have to pretend we didn't help either of these sides because we hate both of them. It's probably good now. Well, we had a phase of them probably in the early 2000s. We're about for the next 10 years where every villain is going to be Russian and it's going to be the thickest Russian accent you have ever heard. Yeah. yeah. And they're all going to be called something, something of with the most cliched name you've ever seen. Speaking of cliched names, actually. Just when you thought you got away from that, Putin decides to invade a country. (laughs) Well, that's the genre decided again. Knives Out 2 will delve more into the mysterious Benoit Blanc, Rian Johnson reveals. And you may have seen the first photo from set that came out this week. I haven't, actually. My man Ethan Hawke's in there. Blimey. And... I think Madeline Klein is going to be the Anna Diarmas of this one, so we'll see how it goes. Should be fun. Yeah, but that is all of the news of the week this week after a couple of weeks where not a lot has happened. So we'll start today with Casino. A tale we'll of greed. Casino. Yeah, we'll start with Casino. Okay. That's just the way my notes are, so I'm flicking. <laughs> it is up there with the most notes I've ever had for a podcast. Blimey. I've got 12. I can't tell you how much my heart just dropped. (laughs) Well, a lot of it isn't copy and pasted this time. So it's not like the Back to the Future one where there's no room. A lot of these can be boxed off in certain things. Just fails prepare, prepare to fail uh, with 5,675 words. 
So if we pick your heart back up. Nobody's going to interfere with you running the casino. On November 22nd. Look at this place. It's made of money. From acclaimed director Martin Scorsese comes the motion picture event of the year. Robert De Niro. Don't you see what's at stake? Sharon Stone. I will go to the police. Joe Pesci. You only exist out here because of me. You realize what you can do? You can get us all killed? Casino. Starts Wednesday, November 22nd at theaters everywhere. The synopsis for this one. A tale of greed, deception, money, power and murder occur between two best friends, a mafia enforcer and a casino executive competing against each other over a gambling empire and over a fast living and fast loving socialite. Been looking forward to doing this one on here while also fearing that runtime. <laughs> yeah, this is a film that feels every bit of three hours basically as well, doesn't it? Because I very rarely want to ever split these films. So I like watching them as they were intended. And so boxing out three hours. Whenever I say this, I make it sound like I've got a hectic lifestyle. And it's ultimately the three hours was I need to make sure I put it on just after Super Sunday finishes and before like 10 o'clock at night. I'm not I'm not being uh, oh, I haven't been uh, slaving around too much here, but three hours is three hours. What do you think the critics thought of this? I would imagine probably pretty damning. I would imagine they're going to go in expecting good fellas and not getting something on the same level. I think that's the first thing we're going to discuss, actually. Mm. Um, Casino is nothing less than epic. Three hours long with a cast of hundreds, stuffed with great victory and even greater tragedy. Something went terribly wrong. Scorsese made an ambitious bid with Casino but he seems to have been overpowered by his material. Scorsese's skill at creating brevity out of such a kaleidoscopic canvas commands respect, though there's the nagging sense that he's running through something of a formula. Kaleidoscopic canvas is something I want to add to my uh, vocabulary, I think. Not entirely sure what they meant. But just, yeah, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> I, I thought it looked good. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah. my reason was taking it down. That's the Casino- sort of answer you give in an English literature class. Yeah, I don't yeah. really know what I've given there. Casino is, in a sense, Scorsese's godfather. It has the epic scale, the operatic violence, and the cornered protagonist who craves legitimacy. True. So long as Casino stays focused on the excesses of language, violence, and ambition, in the lifestyles that are rich and infamous, it remains a smart, knowing, if often repetitive spectacle. It's not the actor's fault that no one's able to break through the film's gorgeous but chilly surface. You watch Casino with respect and appreciation, reveling in its documentary sense of detail. Now, when did you first see this film? Oh, that's a good question. Quite a long time ago. You can't. There's... I Do you remember the yes. Did you kind of stumble upon it? Did you go out of your way to watch it? Very much. A, uh, I've seen Goodfellas. I know this is a, obviously of the same sort of ilk. <laughs> yeah. I know it's not seen as as good. I'm going to watch this and make a judgment as to as to what I think. So I, I would imagine, you know, mid teens. 
Yeah. I think I mentioned when we did the Goodfellas pod, the first time I saw that film, I liked it, but wasn't obsessed with it, largely because it wasn't Scarface. And I shouldn't have gone in even considering that. But mm-hmm. the second time I watched Goodfellas, I remember just loving it. And I was just fiending for more. I ordered this from Amazon right around the time where if I could get it on DVD, I was doing it just because I liked the look of having a DVD shelf. So I'd go on and get the one pence DVDs. It was £1.27 for postage. And I'd just have stacks and stacks and stacks of parcels turning up with half the DVDs that I probably didn't even watch. But I remember just knowing I needed to find three hours to see this. And I don't know if you've ever had a morning at work where you've done just like a little bit more than usual. And you feel that you really do deserve a break or a pat on the back. And I was working from home and just decided that that afternoon, the last two hours of the day, I really did deserve like the biggest pat on the back. <laughs> and so, so I did this uh, the last two hours. Uh, I had some technical issues that just did not get fixed, unfortunately. Um, and I put this on. So far, i from working from home. You're... Yeah, um, that was about three jobs ago. So I'm in the clear. <laughs> and they did all, all, let me go in the end. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I hope I, you uh, took it to tribunal for that. Yeah, I, I feel we both got some out of it. But that that was the big thing. This was released, obviously, in 1995, as we said, and it really didn't take on a life until it hit DVD. People went in wanting Goodfellas 2, and I don't know if it was word of mouth, etc., but people weren't piling into the cinemas to see this. I took a look back at when it was released. This opened the same weekend as Toy Story. Now, I don't know who decided that. But come on. (laughs) It opened the same weekend as Toy Story and Money Train. I don't know if you've seen that with Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson and Jennifer Lopez. I've not actually seen it, but I have obviously heard of it. I think that would be... I I love Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson, so... Not Jennifer Lopez? Different reasons, I feel. <laughs> uh, Goldeneye came out a week prior. Oh, Casino shows in 1,000 less cinemas across America than Toy Story. I mean, I guess there's an argument. It's a quite a different market, but I see what you mean. It's, it's a big what? film to be going Okay, against. some some more context. Get Shorty came out the month before and did double the money that Casino did in the same month. Jeez. Within a fortnight of Casino being released, both Jumanji and Heat come out. It is just flooded around and... Is it time for De Niro? Christ. The runtime may have played a factor. But, I mean... It's still weird though, isn't it? Because if you... If you're around that time, you'd be going, right, I'm going to see if this is a good fella's Mark II. So you'd surely only... You'd go to the cinema. You could just be disappointed afterwards if if that's what you wanted. The, the idea that it wasn't showing that many days and not many people went it was a it's a weird thought because if it, it's not like we're talking about the olden days and it's black and white and, and like all this i don't know whether we were calling the cinema cheap in 95 or expensive i don't know if we were doing cinema cards or whatever and it may have <laughs> just been a choice as to i'm going to do one of these toy story i can take more people more people are probably going to see that or 
Well, Heat's coming out in a fortnight. This is right before Christmas. This comes out November 22nd. Okay. It may be that people had to pick one, and amongst all of this competition, they chose the other. And if there was the feeling that this was Goodfellas 2, initially I would have said it should have been busier, but the opening weekend's really poor as well. Maybe it's do I go and see De Niro and Pesci, which I've seen before, or do I go and see De Niro and Pacino? And this is, this is something which mm. everyone is like going crazy for. Do you think? Because it's it's five it's five years after Goodfellas. People will say De Niro's playing the straight guy, Pesci's playing the loose cannon. You can't say it's too soon, can you? Five years later, it should have it should have worked to its optimum. I would have thought. I'd have thought you've had enough time for Goodfellas to be baked in as as a classic film that people love. But you probably have gone enough time where you get some appetite to run it back. Um, if you consider, you know, how people were sort of salivating for The Irishman when that came out, I would have thought, I'd have thought people would be all over this. Even if, like I said, ultimately, if you'd come out disappointed, I think going in, I think you'd have been all in. Uh, some surprise at its poor performance on the opening weekend. But maybe, maybe there is something to what you say about just the sheer sort of competition around it at the time. I don't know because it's not even like he's been flopping in the box office either. Like in the meantime, he's done what Cape Fear, Bronx Tale, amongst several others. Yeah, it's not a bad run at all. He's still very much a household name. I know it was just panned. Uh, one of the reviews that caught on the most, and it's not a positive one. David Spade goes on Saturday Night Live and says, Casino, Casino, I liked it more, I liked it better when it was Goodfellas. <laughs> this is the other thing, the, the Goodfellas thing is a double-edged sword, in that you're going to get a certain amount of people through the door because they, they love that, so they'll go and see this to see what it's like. But if it doesn't, you know, this is a really good film, I really like it, but because it isn't Goodfellas, it'll just constantly be compared basically berated for not being as good which is yeah brutally unfair but that's the way it goes i mean i don't know if you've seen all of the ezra miller stuff recently and the promo around that's not doing for the flash film that's going to be coming out martin scorsese in the lead up to this saying there's no plot at all (laughs) it's three hours no plot you know this going in there's a lot of action a lot of story but no plot It's also not quite true, is it? There is some plot. It's not like there's none. He's certainly not selling it, is he? <laughs> no, no, no. He's, yeah, he could have given it a harder sell. The tricky thing, obviously, I've also seen as well, is a lot of people have said, um, yeah, this gets compared to Goodfellas, but really it's like some of his sort of, some of his other work, like even like later stuff like Wolf of Wall Street, etc. Yeah. Um, but the, they've done themselves... If they don't want the comparison, they haven't done themselves any favour because if you look at the cover of Casino, the cover of exactly, exactly. it's almost like, identical. Um, me and Keenan spoke when we did the Skarsky and Hutch pod and you look at uh, Ben Stiller at the time and you can't move from him. The guy's doing like three films a year for about five years. Yeah. And it's fair to say, no disrespect to the man, the films he's doing 
certainly were a lot more Marmite than this. I can understand how you could see Zoolander and then see <laughs> Ben Stiller's face pop up a, a month later and say, absolutely not. Absolutely yeah, not. This, it's not like that at all. <laughs> if anything, no. it's like this guy is just hitting home run after home run after home run. It's not like Scorsese, we, we just look back now and go, wow, this guy never got credit. This guy's getting credit even now, <laughs> like at the time. Mm. I don't know. Um, it's frequently compared to, and it's described as a documentary with characters. Now, there is a certain level of detail that they do in this. They do explain every minute detail for you in a way that you get with Wolf uh, for Wall Street, I guess, in comparison when you have... With the stocks and stuff, yeah. Yeah, them taking you through the bank. I think he makes it sound a lot cooler there while it looks cooler here. I can kind of see the documentary thing in just with what he said with Gangs of New York. There is a certain level of detail here that you aren't getting in your everyday mafia film. Yeah. But again, all of these things, if me and you are looking at the cinema listings in 1995, even with hearing all this, I don't think my excitement has been dampened at all. I'm still piling into the cinema to go see Pesci, De Niro, Scorsese. It's very strange. And by the way, I don't think I'm disappointed either. I think no, I go in no. there, I go, this is a bit long. But, you know, I think I go in probably with a conscious awareness that I don't have, this doesn't have to be as good as Goodfellas, but I, I can still enjoy it. And uh, it's not like you're not getting bang for your buck as well. There's, for all, mm. this is a long film. There's, <laughs> there's plenty of action in there. Plenty, there's plenty going on. Yeah. A three-hour film isn't as uncommon as it is now either, or at least certainly for a blockbuster film. True. And so, as you said, it may be more, well, if I'm going to pay, I want to go see it. It's not like Scorsese has a pension at this point for an hour and a half films. Like good films <laughs> yeah, you know well. the score <laughs> of them. Yeah. Um, he does this as part of a two-picture deal with Universal Studios because of their help and support getting behind The Last Temptation of Christ. So he's done Cape Fear in 91, which obviously also goes down really well. Mm. And this is the second one on that deal. In terms of publicity, the last thing I have around the film is Scorsese said his tactic for this film was it was very violent and he saw the reaction to Goodfellas. And so this whole head in the vice scene, which we're going to do in a bit more detail later on, he nice. puts that in there, so the MPAA say, well, that is horrific. <laughs> and he put it in as a sacrifice, knowing they get rid of that, and everything else is very violent, suddenly doesn't look so bad in comparison. It actually gets through to the point where he has to cut out some of that scene to make it less violent on the actual final edit. Um, they made no objection to it at all. Fucking hell. Nice. But, but if if the press got a hold of that and it's well, so so often we hear about the set pieces, don't we? Like it's a different time. But I knew about the Joker's pencil trick about a day after the Batman film was released, and we were yeah. on Twitter and all of that then. So mm. 
I can imagine all the reviewers in advance are saying how violent this is, how edge of your seat and all of this. Yeah, it's it's a baffling one to me, but I guess you never can uh, predict what the public are going to do. It's not yeah. very Christmassy. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's what went against it. it. It is a film essentially three hours of some of the worst people that you're ever going to come across, and you're trying to get in the festive spirit. There's going to be a lot of kids going, where's dad gone? And he's gone, your dad's gone to Vegas for Christmas, I'm afraid. Sorry, he's going to try and make his fortune. Well, this is credited as being part of the reshaping of Vegas's image, which doesn't reflect well, I don't think. But <laughs> if you want to go and uh, win or lose some money, then maybe this does have all the right things for you. Those lights, maybe you turn a blind eye at all of the killings. Absolutely. Now, De Niro and Pesci, as we've said, they're, aside from Scorsese, if you are going to see this film, they're a large part of that reason. Mm. This is the eighth collaboration between Scorsese and De Niro, and they wouldn't link up again until The Irishman in 2019. Didn't want to overcook it, did they? Well, to do seven before that is <laughs> like, what the hell happened on this set? Or maybe they didn't I mean, think they were as bankable anymore. Maybe Pesci went uh, method acting. For you, I can't be around you <laughs> much longer. One of the big things you hear about Scorsese and the screenplays that he has worked on is he's far more likely to give you an outline of the dialogue than write this big, long, detailed monologue that you need to know word for word. And the level of trust that he has for De Niro and Pesci is he essentially gives them the start of the conversation and the end of the conversation and just lets them go at it. And that's why some of these conversations feel maybe a bit more prolonged than you'd have expected them to be, because I imagine you just can't believe some of the goals you're picking up. Yeah, well, you know, I've obviously not done a level of research that you have into this film, but I do know about it, that he has just let so much ad-libbing going on to the point where even I know, um, oh, who's it pays? That's the James Woods. Yeah. Essentially, that he lets him just kind of cook as, as well. Obviously, bearing in mind that's you know he's a secondary sort of character in this, and he's letting him do it. So I can imagine with De Niro and Pesci, he's just let you know you boys, you boys know what you're doing. You carry on. Uh, an Easter egg, actually, for uh, fans of the pod. Joe Pesci's wife at the time of filming, Claudia Harrow, uh, plays Trudy, the uh, hostess and band leader of Aces High. They divorced, and she remarried a certain Garrett Warren who has been on the podcast who she was convicted for hiring a hitman to try and kill him. So she appears in this film. Christ. Thankfully, didn't hire a very good hitman. Yeah. She would have got the job done. (laughs) The next thing I have in my notes here is um, Joe Pesci. If you see him in a bar, Find another bar. What the hell out? Him with a pen. Is this... Is this... uh, If you think of casinos, you think of Pesci and the pen? Is that the first thing you think of? Maybe. Maybe. I think think I still think of of De Niro, you know, but it should be this. It should be this or the fucking head in the vice. I mean, (laughs) ridiculous. Yeah, when he stabs the guy at the bar and he's shooing him in, you are just thinking, okay, we just picked up where we left off then. You're, you're the yeah. same guy. And we, especially, obviously, as 
He's there with Frank Vincent. You're worried yeah, for him. I was about to say. Oh, fuck. Frankie, get out, out of there. It turns out he likes him in this one. And I believe this is where you get, no matter how big a guy might be, Nicky would take him on. You beat Nicky with fists, he comes back with a bat. You beat him with a knife, he comes back with a gun. You beat him with a gun, you better kill him because he'll keep coming back and back until one of you is dead. That's a fantastic line. Also does get straight to the heart of how is this tiny bloke just filling in all these guys because <laughs> you're watching it thinking this guy's about five foot flat and just everyone's terrified of him and he's laying everyone out to the point where when he starts not being able to knock people out with one punch people are like whoa he's really slipping he's having to take two or three here what there is a thing isn't there and we would have all have seen people at school where you don't necessarily have to be able to fight you just have to be willing to fight and that will be enough yeah. of an off-putting measure most people do, for do most not situations. want the hassle. No. And the only worse place to be than in a bar with Nicky is in his driver's seat. <laughs> How in a film of all of the, these things he does here is his shtick that you just sit down with him and he's reaching for your head within seconds. He has a remarkable just reflex to get a blue job in any scenario. <laughs> quite incredible. Because we spoke uh, in Sex Drive about Clark Duke's chat. And <laughs> perhaps this stuff shouldn't be working in the way that it does. In the time that Nicky works his way into getting head for the first time in this film, the conversation he's having is, I fly stuff in fresh every day. I get bread from back home. I get fish from California. And you can always tell a great kitchen like ours because of the milk-fed veal. That's the secret. So milk-fed <laughs> veal is pure white. Out here, they got that pink veal. Slide over, honey. Now, pink veal, <laughs> you can pound that shit for two days and it'll never, ever get tender. He picks her head up to say, you know what I mean? And then he pushes her down and off he goes. The fact he commands her into the driver's seat, where he's this experience where he's like, I need my room here. It was also a matter of fact, wasn't it? It was just, come, come on, this is going to happen. Karen, just listen to me talk shit and do this horrible act. Does she know what she's getting in the car for or or not? Because she I doesn't think seem confused a... when he's saying, you know, budge up. Yeah, this has been done plenty of times before. I, I think that's very clear because she is not even blinking at the whole situation. Speaking of not even blinking at it, that was one of the... I don't know if it helped or hindered Ginger's character in that she's supposed to be separate to almost every other woman in this film. Like, everyone adores her. Everyone is after her. And the fact that Nikki can even pull this out of the bag with her. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's just how desperate she is at the time or if... <laughs> I don't know if Nikki's got that length, if he's just a persuasive guy. <laughs> I don't know what the hell is going on. Just a charmer. Just one of those, once you get in a room with him, he'll charm you. But this must be some like David Blaine trick because he's not he's not charming at all. He's talking about the different types of veal. <laughs> I, I just need to get you some a driver's seat and it's over. He's doing the Vince Carter. <laughs> once he gets you in the seat, you're done. Vince Carter hands. Um, a couple other things I had down about uh, Nikki because we'll speak about specific scenes but one that I mean if it works for everyone it'd be fantastic Ace says 
He had a foolproof scheme, all right. It wasn't very scientific, but it worked. When he won, he collected. When he lost, he told the bookies to go fuck themselves. What were they going to do? Muscle Nicky. Nicky was the muscle. If we rock up to the 365 offices, you know, get out here for a straightener, you. And give me my fiver back. If he hits the post, that should count as a shot on target. What are you going to do? Fight me? <laughs> you just call him down and there's so much in this film where I don't think it's as funny as Goodfellas and I guess apologize in advance because I don't go into this film judging it on how I feel about Goodfellas but that is the uh, most obvious point of comparison so Mm. you're probably going to be hearing Goodfellas mentioned an awful lot the opening to the film De Niro peach suit white trousers Everything about this is just so good. These are the ones where I look at this and I think of race week and go, can I pull that off? <laughs> and there's like a good minute or so where I'm like trying to picture myself in it. Could I do that? I think if I saw you turn up with that, I would plant a bomb. One of the guy you're getting. <laughs> I actually think the race course, there's enough down there where the majority wouldn't bat an eyelid for me it would be the walk to the course and the number 10 into town the number 10 is really the litmus test yeah yeah if i get on and i hear someone say something like before i've even sat down you've just got to turn around and get off (laughs) i'm gonna be late lads i've gotta get i've gotta change (laughs) um i would have some lingering annoyance with the start of this film if he actually did turn out to be killed Absolutely agree because I'd forgotten I, that he survived. Yeah, so I, I think this is why. I, I watched Carlitos way after I watched this. I know that whenever I watched that, I think I must have given Carlitos way a chance for that. If he could, but maybe he doesn't die. Maybe this <laughs> thing they've shown me at the start hasn't ruined the whole film for me. Well, you kind of do assume still, that, don't it you? Still crush me when Carlitos then yeah. die. Because anytime you do see that, usually, so the way it's commonly done in this situation is like limitless where the point yeah. at which they do the you're probably wondering how i got here is like three quarters of the way through with this i was pissed off and i go back to legend and i, I don't see what everyone else saw in that film and a big part of it is that you have someone doing a voiceover from the grave and it probably applies to nikki in this film as well i was we about to say I, I was going to pick up with you. Do you i'm assuming you don't like that no, I, I don't like it at all. And I wrote in my notes immediately because I had forgotten that he survived. But I didn't like it with this. And I still don't really like it with this. But Do you think Joe Pesci's got enough credit in the bank that you can you can put up with it? Is that what you're saying? I think it helps that he's not the main character because I don't particularly like it with uh, De Niro in this. Even the way he flies through the air... For a start, that didn't happen. So it's like, why are we seeing this in, in, in hindsight? <laughs> also, the the theme of those credits doesn't really seem to fit in with the rest of the film. Like, there's in your face, but it's not, like, comical. Like, his body flying through the air doing flips through the credits isn't quite the same as anything else we get, which is very matter-of-fact, like, blunt in your face throughout the rest of it. Yeah, quite dark. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a good point. the feeling for this I imagine the budget is huge I've not not looked that up 
but is this using up every last penny? Is this like when you click the transfer listed section on deadline day on Football Manager and you you pick up some 35-year-old you probably wouldn't have got on the first of January? <laughs> it just doesn't feel very Scorsese-ish to me. Yeah, I know what you mean. Whether that was with the whole glamorizing of Vegas thing, maybe that is yeah. all entailed in it, maybe. I'm not sure. Because usually when his films are in your face, they're slick at the same time. This doesn't seem slick, and maybe it's to drive home that look, this can happen to anyone. I don't know. Uh, it didn't get me off to a flyer, but I don't remember taking issue with it the first time, and that's ultimately what matters, I think. Did yeah, you know- and you are, you are wondering, look, how does this guy end up in a car he's blown up in? So it's, there is a level of intrigue. Did you notice Dick's mother's in the credits? No. There's a guy called Dick's mother's in the credits. Blimey. <laughs> I actually didn't know this was a book by Nick Pelleggi. I was about to say Dick's mother's going to be joking. <laughs> this film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I did. I did know that. I knew that bit. I'm hoping uh, Keenan joins us before long because I know he has read the book. Oh right! Oh cool. And I know he's quite a big fan. And there's, there's, I know there's quite a big scene with Leicester that gets cut out essentially because they don't have woods for that long. But they do make the most of his time, I think. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. He he plays the scumbag. <laughs> yeah. uh, the first scenes I wanted to talk about, and apologies if some of these are out of chronological order, but I'm trying to have it work in some kind of, uh, so we're not going back and forth too much. Ace and Nikki have two significant arguments in this film, and they're two of the highlights of the film. The first one being at Ace's house, where Nikki says, <laughs> I lost control. Look at you. You're fucking walking around like John Barrymore, a fucking pink robe, a fucking cigarette holder. I lost control. I didn't want to bring this up. You've been treating a lot of people with a lot of disrespect, even your wife. And I thought this was going to be uh, like a Martin McFly chicken moment. Like, don't you talk about my wife, but he handles it pretty well. And I guess that ties in again to just how feared Nikki is. Yeah, it's also uh, Ace immediately knows something's going on with him and his wife at that point. Doesn't he? <laughs> or or suspicious. And he's like, well, hang on, why the hell have you brought that up? He says... Uh, what does she have to do with all this? And Nikki says, well, she comes to see me. She's upset about a lot of things, especially the whole fucking Diamond Lester incident. And Ace <laughs> in credit in his uh, credit says, all of a sudden you're the shoulder to cry on. Did you at least tell her about your role in that whole situation? And he says, no, I didn't. What good would that do? That's not the point. <laughs> Nikki is actually a hilarious character. He is in, to his credit, and there's not much credit you can give someone where they are literally sleeping with their best friend's wife. Mm. We've seen in films in this bracket alone, people will go to great distance, great distances for those Sharon Stone cheeks. People will do an awful lot for them. It turns, <laughs> exactly. turns brain, men's brains to mush. Um, and in the, in the same scene, him shouting at the banker, 
I mean, I, I can't quite do Pesci credit here, but he said, I think in all fairness, I should explain to you exactly what it is that I do. For instance, tomorrow morning, I'll get up nice and early, take a walk over to the bank, walk in, and if you don't have my money for me, I'll crack your fucking head wide open in front of everyone in the bank. And just about that time I'm coming out of jail, hopefully you'll be coming out of your coma. And guess what? I'll split your fucking head open again because I'm fucking stupid and I don't give a fuck about jail. That's my business and that's what I do. (laughs) And if you could do this, if you put that as just a single trailer, just a 30 second long trailer, I know exactly what type of film this is from just that one little speech alone. And Nikki has a whole host of these. But that one is like, Okay, I'll see what I need to see. Where, who do I pay my admission price to go and see this? Yeah, yeah, take my money off me, honestly. Because when you break it down, in fact, pr- almost everything Nicky says in this is absolute gold. Really, he doesn't I, really miss with many lines. I text you and Keenan about halfway through and said, "I just want Joe Pesci to call me a motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs> like, and he must get that a lot. He probably gets very pissed off with it and he is absolutely the type to tell you but when we know that the joy of him telling you to fuck off because you've asked him (laughs) to call him motherfucker there'd be some level of joy at that well when we know that he's improvising a lot of this it just seems half his improvisations you go you motherfucker you he's talking like this on a day-to-day basis probably (laughs) if this is him outliving this is how he talks well i can't who was it that there's a there's a celebrity that tells the story of them bumping into pesci at a young age and telling them that goodfellas was their favorite film and him just like glaring at their dad like he should not be watching this yeah yeah who's that it's someone very famous as well yeah 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 i can't think I'm sure it'll come back to us at some point, but yeah, it's probably a lot easier to get in character when you're more just ramping yourself up than you are becoming a whole different person. Yeah, I do remember a story Louis C.K. tells when he called him up and said, I want you to appear in this film. You do it. And he's like, I don't know who you are. I'm not interested. Anyway, he got back to him and was like, look, I've watched some of your stuff. You're not funny. You're not a good comedian. I'm sure you're a nice guy, though. I'm not going to work in your film just now. And he said he had like a half-hour chat on the phone to him. Where he was like, nice enough to him, but Frank did say, I don't like you and I'm not going to work with you. <laughs> Which, to be fair, probably prefer that. He, Louis C.K. said, was like, I loved it. It was like, it was a great chat. Hell of a guy. He just said, I just don't really like your work. Like, <laughs> he just said, I loved his honesty. Maybe he was a bit ahead of time. And we have a back and forth with them in the desert where one of the best lines again in the film and it's a lot more quotables than I gave it credit for even on the second watch when I went back and just read through the quotes I was like, there's so much gold here that I didn't mm. even have time to just take down his meeting in the middle of the desert always made me nervous it's a scary place I knew about the holes in the desert of course and everywhere I looked there could have been a hole normally my prospects coming out alive from a meeting were 99 out of 100 but when Nikki said a couple of hundred yards down the road, I gave myself 50-50. It's just so good. And the idea that everything Ace does is basically with betting odds attached to it. This doesn't <laughs> yeah. give it any scenario about working those out. Well, this is, he says to him, uh, no, Nikki, when you asked me if you could come out here, what did I tell you? 
I mean, you asked me and I knew that if you're going to come out no matter what I said, but what did I tell you? Do you remember what I told you? And this just sets him off, doesn't it? Well, the idea that you're telling a guy like Nicky what he can and can't do is always going to set that guy off. And in fairness, he did ask. But you don't need to remind him of that. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't make him feel like a like a little guy. You won't have it. Back back up a fucking minute here. One minute. <laughs> I asked you, when the fuck did I ever ask you if I could come out here? Get this through your head and then he uh well actually just like the intro. Get this through your head, you Jew motherfucker, you. You only exist out here because of me. That's the only reason. Without me, you personally, every fucking wise guy around would take be taking a piece of your fucking Jew ass. Then where are you going to go? You're fucking warned. Don't ever go over my head again. And he he's actually ends it with you motherfucker, you, as he's walking <laughs> off. <laughs> I, I don't, is he a sports fan, Joe Pesci? Because him watching, if, if you sat him through an Arsenal game and he had some money on it, <laughs> the guy would be, oh, granite shacker, Christ alive, he'd be getting down to the stadium. There'd be a whole dog for him. For anyone that ever considers card counting, should they just show them this scene? It's a good point, isn't it? Yeah. Those, those gentlemen think they haven't really done anything that serious. <laughs> they end up in there. It's made very, very clear. I asked Keenan the same question when we did Rounders. Now, in this film, almost everyone in it doesn't win a bet I don't think you see anyone win a bet fairly. Mm. Do you come out of this more or less inclined to gamble? I mean, you should be less inclined because he does. He spends the whole time saying, "That's the truth about Vegas. We're the only winners. The players don't have a chance." The longer uh, they play, the more they lose, and in the end, we get it all. Yeah, I mean, the the one guy that does look like he's having some success. They end up basically rinsing him, don't they? And then yeah. he has to end up trying to play for like a thousand a time. And then they know, look, he's not going to do this for much longer. And then he's going to start putting stupid bets on again. And we're going to take him for every penny he's got. But having said all that, if, if in this situation I can drive, actually, in this situation I can drive, it's payday. And you've just finished watching the film. And I say, do you want to go to the casino? You get straight down the casino. <laughs> it's yeah. probably got you more hype than you would have been previously. Yeah, absolutely. In the same way as uh, um, at the end of this film, when they're basically kind of, we've had this basic horror story of like what can go wrong. And then they're getting all nostalgic about, oh, those are the good old days. Shame what Vegas <laughs> has become now. Now that it's not run by the mob, it's really shit. You're like, this seems an interesting take. And yet I entirely agree with you. Yeah, I think the question I gave Keenan was, the share price on the practice of gambling, do you think it goes up or down after you've seen rounders? And in this case, casino. And I still think with this, it's up just because you see those lights and the roulette machines. And And should should I tell you where everybody watches the scene where it's basically described how Ace gets, finds out everything, every detail about like a college football game or whatever. And everybody thinks they are ace when they when they put every bet on. They're like, well, this one can't lose. I don't put bets on that can lose, even though there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. Yeah. And 
this scene then where he does catch the card counters. He says, in Vegas, everybody's got to watch everybody else. Since the players are looking to be at the casino, the dealers are watching the players, the box men are watching the dealers, the floor men are watching the box men, the pit bosses are watching the floor men, the shift bosses are watching the pit bosses, the casino manager's watching the shift bosses, I'm watching the casino manager, and the eye in the sky is watching us all. They clock on, what is it? The dealer is holding his cards too high. A guy at the table to the left has a wire in his pocket and he's signaling across. Mm. He picks up the phone. What's it? He asks for a happy birthday, doesn't he? And then the band come out. And even with all of this going on, do you think you'd notice if someone is tased with a cattle prod in front of you? <laughs> because everyone else completely ignores this. Yeah, I think I'm going to need a bigger distraction than that. <laughs> because I, 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 first time I watched this, thinking like, is it supposed to be that they're not noticing this? Because I'm not buying that. Oh, it's, uh, unbelievable. And then we get them at the back. And you know where this is going. This is like Bond villain stuff. When Ace says, I'm just curious. I saw you shuffling your checks with your right hand. Can you do that with both hands? What do you do here as well? Because if you lie to them, they probably know, right, I know which which hand is your hand. I'm I'm doing this one. It doesn't really matter what you say, does it? Even you've got to try your luck and say you can only do it one-handed. You know deep (laughs) down, but it's like in films where the guy is holding the gun and he says, go on, you can go run. And you go, you know what's about to happen here. You're about to get a bullet in the back. But I've got to at least try. <laughs> exactly. You've got to try the zigzags. You've got to run faster than you've ever ran before. But ultimately, you know what's happening. And this is one of those. Uh... Oh, to be fair, he doesn't really sell it. When he says, I'd never tried. Say you tried. At least commit. They're both pretty pitiful characters, though, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. both the guys. It does. Uh... Well, I did forget how sort of graphic this bit is, though in terms of, like, obviously doing his hand in, you kind of think, right, they're going to take him back and just beat him up or whatever. But oh, fucking hell, they've gone in. The guy that they let go here, and it's, it's again, a classic, go back and tell people what you saw here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's listed as winner in the credits. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a debatable name. Which tells you... Very few people make it out of these kind of situations. It's a, it's a low bar if he's the yeah. winner. Well, the uh, he does say to him, doesn't he? Do you take the hammer? And, you can take the hammer and the money. Yeah. Or you can go. So is he saying I'll do in your hand with the hammer, but you can keep the money? Is that a genuine? That's, offer? that's what that's what he offers, and he says I'll do just you do walk that? away. Do you take the hammer and go. You look. That's a lot of money. I. <laughs> in my head, I assume I'm getting the hammer regardless. <laughs> but again put me in the chair I've probably pissed myself at this point hopefully <laughs> I've not shit myself because that's not good for anyone and that I'm, might be your ticket out of there to be <laughs> honest if I, oh, what is that get him out of it I'm pleading just let me go please keep the money I'll pay the money back whatever I gotta do I'll never come back here again but everyone in that room doing. knows You're saying, do that guy in with the hammer. Get me out of here. (laughs) Do what you want to him. 
I'll tell everyone what I've saw here. I can probably <laughs> tell the story better than he can. You can't, you can't tell a story well at all. But then you're probably is, just talking your way into both of you getting it. Yeah, for sure. This is definitely the most menacing um, that De Niro is in the film. But in mind, he predominantly doesn't really want to get his hands dirty in this. And doesn't seemingly really want to be legitimate. He's getting dragged down by his friends. He is in this bit where he's telling him, like, look, go, see, go tell everyone what you saw. That is... Uh, that is Goodfellas um, De Niro. That is him. Yeah. Oh, God, this is a scary guy. There are legitimate debates online about whether Ace is a good guy. <laughs> well, look, I mean, we can get into this at a separate point if you want, but he, his intentions are that he wants to go there and run a casino, and he's just getting fucked by his wife and his best friend. If you take those two out of the equation, he can probably run a casino establishment absolutely fine. I do kind of I do kind of think you have to know what you're getting into when you are running it for the mob but I understand what you mean for the large for the large part his intentions are good but this is what you got to do this is it's tough being the boss he also doesn't really want the illegalities mainly for because of it's a hassle it's not really for like moral reasons it's just this is a bit much like oh this is like too much hassle for me I don't need this Well, in his speech... Where By contrast, talks... Nicky seems to want problems. <laughs> yeah. He seems to go, I need more problems in my life. Yeah, and that kind of guy... I remember there was a kid in our year at school and we'd always play football in the mornings in the tennis courts. And he'd be slide tackling at like 7.30 <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? You just like the pain and the drama <laughs> and the issues at this point. And if you put him in the mob, this is probably what he turns into. But when he does that speech about the holes in the desert, he says you need to have your whole dog up ready because if not, some other people can come and then you don't know how many holes you're going to have to dig. So he's assuming in that situation, more people turn up. He's still going to see them off, no problem. (laughs) He's just going to have the issue of having to dig more holes. He also has like a real opportunity there for this to be like, you think, oh, that's quite a, there's a deeper meaning to this. It's quite a philosophical thing. But then he just carries on talking about how the fact, no, but really you've got to dig holes and yeah. put bodies in there. Okay, I think you got the point now. <laughs> we got it. If we were doing the whole good guy thing, is just smashing his hand, you're probably letting him off quite lightly compared to what almost any other mobster is going to do because the guys there, they're not, high profile people there's nothing where there's going to be a bigger issue because of who they are and what you're doing them what what you're doing to them to the point where he says at the end what is it uh just chuck them outside and uh it'll look like tell the cops they got hit by a car (laughs) so he'd argue he's being quite merciful but maybe he is in the circumstances yeah probably Again, in the casino, Ace kicks out the cowboy. And mm. we get some more prime Pesci in this. Nicky phoning up saying, did you know the guy you threw out was with me? And Ace, and this is uh, De Niro and that voice he puts on. He's like, well, insulted Billy. And then I walked over to him politely and he tells me to go fuck myself. <laughs> And then he called me a word I won't use, which after I've said Jew motherfucker doesn't sound great, to be honest. But um, what do you think I do? I threw that cocksucker out. 
and then uh, Nicky's onto him about putting his boots on the table, bashing him up. And it's another good example of just how feared he is because this cowboy guy is pretty much double his height. He's he's a built he's a <laughs> yeah, built guy yeah. as well. He's huge. <laughs> and Nick is piecing him up. And the guy is just flinching, like he does not want to do anything back at all. No, that's it. There's never even the ambition to do something back. I mean, although what the guy was ever thinking was going to come from being an asshole like that in a casino and mouthing off the waist. Even if Nicky wasn't his mate, I don't think. What do you think is going to happen to you? That's good here. The way the way that Nicky speaks, I imagine he's probably giving him the feeling that because you're my friend, you're you what you want. Yeah. Like the kid who was out like on the outskirts of the cool gang at school, you think you probably can just about get away with this, but you're treading the fine line. Um. Also, Nicky, by the way, one of very few people who can use a phone as a weapon. If you're near him yeah. and he's on the phone, he is going to beat you with it. I do always think, though, every time you see someone get bashed in by a phone in a film, it does always look incredibly painful. You want to sit onto the end? No. Well, no, it looks like in the same league as being, like, gun Like, it's the same thing. <laughs> it looks just as painful. There's a big yeah. surface area there. You don't really want either. Just in this I'm case, hoping... at least he wasn't hit in the nose. I'm hoping the phone is a bit less heavy duty than the gun. Hoping. Could be worse though, because we see this uh, inner vice scene. So good. Nicky, Nicky tells him, listen to me, Anthony, I got your head in a fucking vice. I'll squash your head like a fucking grapefruit if you don't give me a name. Don't make me have to do this, please. Don't make me a bad guy. Come on. And then he has the nerve to call him a motherfucker. What about that scenario makes you feel a bit brave? I can't, <laughs> I can't explain it. It must be, I don't think I'm getting out of this here. Yeah. And he says, fuck my mother. That's what you fucking tell me. And again, you motherfucker, you. And he's off. <laughs> and afterwards, when Nicky's describing it, he says... For two days and two fucking nights, we beat the shit out of this guy. I mean, we even stuck ice picks in his balls. <laughs> oh, God. And How the studio, is that not immediate death? The studio asked Scorsese to take that out of the script, and he said no. Nice. Probably after getting that ice pick scene through, felt untouchable. And <laughs> he's like, if they're not touching my film, you certainly aren't touching my film. <laughs> Yeah, that that scene, I can see the point of it from the sacrificial part in downplaying everything else. And I can also see why, if you wanted to have this debate at all about whether these people were just trying to have a good, slightly criminal business, but nothing compared to uh, the... I guess the kind of comic book style mafia crimes of you being these sneaky guys on the streets in trench coats. This is, I guess, what the mob, this is why they did it. It's a lot more upmarket. It's a lot more by the book, or it appears to be. 
And this scene is just a kind of bringing you back down to earth. Like, don't forget who these people are. Yeah, yeah, this is the height of psychopath. <laughs> Great scene, though. Yeah, we've not really mentioned Ginger yet, other than Aaron Pesci, um, yes. and everything that surrounds that. And Ace asking Ginger to marry him is one of the most telling scenes in the entire film. And plenty have picked this scene out previously. Ace, very matter of fact, as he always is, says, we're not getting any younger. Don't you think it's time? Aren't you getting tired of all this shit? Banging around, hustling around. She says, what are you trying to handicap me? And he says, I'm going to do you one better. I'm trying to marry you. Do you want to marry me? So it's not outside of the way he speaks at any other time. It's never too high. It's never too low. They say this is exactly the kind of lingo that Sam Rothstein would be using. I read it described as his life is gambling. He breathes it and eats it every day. And at this time, he's so confident he can change Ginger that he bets it all on a less than sure thing. He doesn't gamble during the film, but this is the one gamble he does take. Yeah, it's just so against everything else he does, where everything's a sure thing. This is, I mean, I would say this is beyond even a gamble because this woman is quite clearly, what about this woman suggests she's the settling down type? He could get with just about anyone, probably, within reason there. And he's gone, I'm going to go for the most problematic woman I can find that's going to give me the most hassle. We're not being like experts after the event and going, what was he doing marrying this woman? Immediately, you're like, don't do this. This is a terrible idea. And then when he does the thing about putting the money aside and just having a key for her, why would anybody do this? But why would you do it with her? I just, It's insane. I think that's the entire purpose of it is of it is that we're supposed to see that from the outside, but he is just so consumed by her that he actually can't see what yeah. a mental yeah, yeah, choice absolutely. this is. And Sharon Stone is perfect in this. She manages to look in even in just this scene, almost like an experienced poker player and how she manages the moment, but then she gives off this kind of naivety that is the reason people underestimate her for the entire film. She's calculating in the moment. She has just the right amount of silence while she's considering everything going on. Um, yes, Sam's the entire film. He's a control freak. And he basically does just choose the one thing that he can't control despite all of his effort. You can use all of the standard descriptions like kryptonite, the ultimate downfall. Um but it's essentially the same relationship that he has with Ginger is the same relationship that she has with Lester. Like it's so obvious that one isn't good for the other and one's feelings mm. are so much more powerful than the others. But neither of them are have a clear vision enough to notice this and to make the right decision. She also does a great job of even in that bit where this is the peak of her for looking in control of herself and manipulating yeah. others. After this, obviously, we see her descend. But even at the start, I think she does a great job of she's a little bit damaged here. I think we know this. And then doesn't she does that descent. It's very similar to Leota in Goodfellas, where you just watch this person slowly descend and descend into alcohol and drugs, in, in her case. Yeah. Um, and by contrast, Ace is obviously the same throughout that same controlled measure. And that's those two things are never going to be able to sort of coexist. 
Her even did, if, even if you didn't know this one, by the way, the fact that he's had to he's been turned <laughs> down by her initially, and then he basically has to haggle and bribe her. <laughs> it almost seems to make him want her more. Yeah, and it is a certain amount of ego, whatever attached to it, I'm sure as well. Well, the on-screen chemistry that De Niro and Stone have is unbelievable. Like you do mm-hmm. truly believe that they hate each other, and you do, do truly believe that Ace is just completely infatuated with it. Sharon Stone in this, there's very few people that could have played this role because I don't want to chuck Kelly Brook under the bus again, but it's going to have to happen. This wasn't just a case of getting the best looking actress or the best looking model to play this role. Like you almost had to have everything down here. And I've got to think basic instinct plays a part in this, in, uh, in the casting decision and knowing that she can do this, but I guess um, could Margot Robbie do this today? Someone who's worked with Scorsese since. If you were doing a modern equivalent, she would probably be one of your better bets. I, I, I'm not sure she could do as good a job. To be honest, I'm not sure she's not even necessarily quite... as good of a job, but just the capacity to be able to do the job. Because even. I will be interested um, to see if she does do a role like this. She she did I, Tonya, and the whole thing with that was basically you couldn't believe that this innocent-looking woman could be could do such a horrible crime and be so vindictive. And you see this slow trail down, but they mention her upbringing and the issues she had there, and then it kind of explains it away a bit more. She doesn't necessarily look as evil behind the eyes because you get the sense she's almost being controlled in some cases with this so much of it is just down to the look in her eye and the way that she does this i think margot robbie could do it i think i've been campaigning with keenan i don't even know if he knows what sydney sweeney looks like but i've been saying that she can do all of these roles and i do think she could do this role when... i don't know what she looks like now Blimey, there he is. Here he is. Uh, but her eyes ultimately are probably the, the thing that could uh, swivel this in her favour and the role that she plays in Euphoria. But it's it's like they struck gold with Sharon Stone, but... I mean, could I've she got, do gear in front of her kid? That is the question. I've got something on that, but... Outrageous. I'll jump a bit ahead to the casting while we're on the conversation. So she wasn't the first choice at all. Nicole Kidman, Melanie Griffith, Rene Russo, Cameron Diaz, Uma Thurman and Michelle Pfeiffer were all considered for the role. Madonna was almost cast, and we have this weird pocket oh, of time where Madonna is seemingly getting to like the final call on all of these roles, but never getting them. Um, almost as if it's a studio thing, and then the director says no. And they realise that she's not very good at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer... <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer turned down the role of Ginger because she said it was too similar to her role in Scarface. Scarface. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't seem unfair. Um, Sharon Stone has related the story of how she came to be in the film. She says her first two auditions were cancelled by Scorsese for just various mundane reasons. It was like, oh, he's been held up. He can't see you today. He's actually now had another meeting rescheduled. We're going to have to cancel. And she was convinced that he wasn't interested and he was just blowing her off. And so it's arranged for a third time and she turns them down goes out for dinner with her friend 
she claims Scorsese spoke to her manager, got the location of where she was going for a meal, and he turned up at the table and made a personal appeal to have her in the film. Story. Seems like Scorsese, maybe this is one of them, like, I guess it's... Chelsea didn't want a Bamiyang at the start of this window, but now if another team went in for a Bamiyang, they are probably going to be begging and saying, no, no, please, we really do need you. And maybe after Sharon Stone's fallen through, who seems like it would have made perfect sense in the role, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, sorry, looks like it would have made perfect sense. Maybe he's then looking at the alternatives and going, no, no, we really do need this person who I wasn't yeah. aware I needed a couple of days ago. You're looking down the barrel to spend the sixty million pound on the Madonna signing. Yeah, we've got to get Sharon in. And the Scarface one is an interesting comparison because both Ginger and Alvira are both considered cold towards their respective husbands, but at least there does seem to be a period where Tony and Alvira are happy. It's a very short period, but you do have that, and then they grow apart, and it's like maybe they did never love each other. But in this film, the only love you actually see is towards both money and maybe Ace and his daughter. Like, there's never a sign where Tony and Alvira look like they have chemistry as a couple where it's a couple that makes sense. There's just nothing to it at all. You mean um, yeah, Ace yeah, and... Yeah, Ace and Ginger, yeah. It is a, it's a transactional relation isn't it uh the whole thing she, she in particular i think is actually cold towards him i think obviously he's somewhat infatuated by her i think she could probably take or leave him i she's obviously perfect for the role but i do i do kind of despise her a bit at times as well because she does like when she's just asking for money and then it's really put out that she's having to explain why she wants 25 grand i'm like don't fucking give her the money don't fucking give it to her <laughs> Well, it's a good thing that Keenan is here because I did write down a question specifically for him. Um, so after what TK has just mentioned, Eighth uh, says, you're asking me for 25000 I'm not asked to make you feel bad. I want to just be able to trust you. It's about trust. I have to be able to trust you with my life. And he asks, can I trust you about eight times? Um, which does seem very reasonable for £25,000. I think after the third or fourth time, you can probably answer your own question there. But... How much money can I ask you for, Keenan, to the point where you don't ask questions? Am I gifting it? I've always said this, actually. Am I gifting it to you or am I loaning it to you? <laughs> uh, I think if we're going in the same situation as here, you get the impression that you probably won't be getting this back. If I'm gifting it to you, you do it what you want. But so what? I'm you don't ask I'm at all? No, it's not really a gift. I'm asking for it in this case. (laughs) A gift in this context, meaning that I won't be saying it again. So maybe I don't give Sharon Stone as the example, which is why I used myself, because I'm probably less charming than she is. I don't think that's probably not. (laughs) She's getting on a bit now. I've still got my prime ahead of me. I think if we put you in basic instinct, it's a very, very (laughs) tough sell. Yeah, you're probably uh, yes. right. The answer is not, yeah. If I'm giving you the money and I'm not expecting to see it back, eh, you do what you want. Well, I'm <laughs> expecting it back. Don't know why. I'm lending you the money. Uh, I'll ask some questions. That's a friend you want there. 
Well, I may text you in a minute, Keenan. Don't read it out on the episode. <laughs> um, the Lester character is such is such a strange one. Um, real dude as well. Pardon? Real like it's not something they made they put in for the film. That's no, true. this was the full and the full it, crap, right? Isn't it that the actual daughter is by Lester? So it's Lester and Ginger's daughter in real life, rather than it being Lester trying to take away Ace's daughter. No, I believe so. I should yeah. have I read the book like three weeks ago. But I can't uh, it is. Uh, yeah, Lee referenced that you'd, uh, you'd read the book. Yep. Nice. There you go. Selling you before you got here. Not a difficult sell, mate. Um, <laughs> in terms of introductions... Ace saying, from my recollection, aren't you the card shark golf hustler and the pimp from Beverly Hills? I mean, there's worse ways to be introduced. This is like a Paul Bearer introduction <laughs> in the 90s. I'm not sure if I've ever been introduced to the pimp is a, is a plus. <laughs> I don't know if you'd use it for the in-laws. <laughs> what what, what like, do you do? Well, if, if I... If I if Keenan tells me if I'm going to be meeting Keenan and he says my mate's going to come along as well, I said okay. He said you not met him before. Um, he's the card shark golf hustler pimp from Beverly Hills. <laughs> I may get a taxi in rather than the bus. <laughs> what sort of people do you think I'm associating with? Oh, okay, but if maybe TK brings a card shark, I'll bring a golf hustler. Well, maybe you bring a golf hustler, and I'll find the pimp from Beverly Hills. <laughs> This is the best apprentice uh, scavenger hunt ever. <laughs> One of my favourite things in the whole film is this brief back and forth we get across several scenes with Lester and uh, Amy, where it could easily be Will Ferrell you're putting him in this scene, <laughs> and it's certainly from a comedy film. Um, when Lester is saying to Ginger... I bought us a few minutes. You want to get back at this prick? Uh, you got what? Two million dollars in that box. Um, you let him keep your jewels. We take the cash. And the only other thing he cares about, as he's pointing, <laughs> we go to Europe. You dye your hair and you get some plastic surgery. And all Amy wants is to go and see the Elephant Man. We're not gonna fucking see the Elephant Man. <laughs> I hope someone took her to see the Elephant Man after all this. Because I mean, she I, seems to be taking it all on the chin, considering hope, the circumstances. I hope someone took the child back to, to some therapy or something afterwards, because she's, she's seen some things in this film. I mean, yeah, uh, her mum's racking up about eight lines of Chaz next to it. And For all the things that happen in this film, that is feels like the most shocking. <laughs> like, this is insane. I mean, she does tie her up as well. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she only says five it's for her own minutes, safety. Though, just so she yeah. can go out. Come on. <laughs> Um, she's not batting an eyelid. She's like, I just want to see the elephant man in Bolivia. Takes off for a moment to go to Bolivia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Lester's got some cheek. He's already got Sharon Stone, and he's got just get some plastic surgery. You know, I think he's thinking more facial. I think he's thinking more disguised than yeah, yeah. Than getting, yeah, her, getting her a tit job. <laughs> Who implied hey, a tit all job? All to disguise, though. All that's to disguise. Who even said tit job? Keenan's jumping, uh, jumping ahead. It's you, it's you we're talking about. Come on. 
That's not the reason I mentioned Sydney Sweeney. It is a natural. You get plastic surgery like we talked about. You're the mother. How much do you think he's going to pay to get this fucking kid back? She says, (laughs) I don't want to go to Europe. And he says, you shut your mouth. You know where she gets this from? (laughs) You want me to come over there? I'll smack your face. And at the point where she's breaking down on the phone saying, can I come home, please? And you just see see him like yeah, this falling is... his fist up, like shaking it in like unbelievable. Yeah, you realise what a just a dirtbag this guy is. She's just constantly ringing him up in tears, and he's got like some other woman there doing gear or whatever. You're like, this is just. I mean, what is this guy's appeal though? I mean, fair play to him because he seemingly is just a, a mess, and he keeps just reeling them back in. The uh, Keenan can maybe provide more clarity as mentioned in the book um the impression i got was that he kind of got his claws into her early like the relationship they have seems very manipulative it's not like a childhood sweetheart one where they're just up and down it it feels a lot more menacing than that yeah that's pretty much it did he pimp her out or not no it's it's there for it yeah and plus she tried to rise above it basically um, something, a lot about the two characters didn't I guess <laughs> something we mentioned earlier um, I know you're a big fan of a lot of the actors in this film if mm-hmm. Joe Pesci told you to get in the driver's seat no don't want to do <laughs> maybe the driver's seat is preferable to the passenger seat though. <laughs> no <laughs> if he puts you in the driver's seat just because he wants more room we saw <laughs> uh, that's experience man Maybe the biggest talking point in this whole film. Um, from now on, I want you to put an equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. <laughs> an equal amount of blueberries. He said, Do you know how long that takes? I don't care how long it takes. You put an equal amount. Are we Again, in agreement that blueberry thing. muffins are the best muffin? No, they're fucking disgraceful. Wow. 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 Blueberries are, oh. Oh. Blueberries are shocking. They're just not good in anything, are they? I've said you motherfucker about eight times in this podcast, quoting for, for context. And what you've just said is probably worse. Is it? I went yeah, to the shop to try and get some blueberry muffins for tomorrow at work and none to be so found. That's disgraceful. I'd really enjoy you taking up with whoever's behind the till, though. I want equal amounts <laughs> of blueberry muffins. And then oh, just not getting a reference. At hey, all. That can't be your. That can't be your pick. I mean, I'm not a great, not a great one. For, what muffin are you taking? No, no, ideally, uh, not. They're not for. They're not really for me. But blueberry would be worse. Be far down the list. I'll tell you a great muffin, and that's um, white chocolate and raspberry. That's better. It's not it's better, not but it's 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 still good. Um, it's, how how is blueberry your pick? They're a fucking awful fruit. Oh. I could take down a four-pack of blueberry muffins, no questions ah, asked. I mean, come on. That's Unbelievable. Blueberry muffins, is it? <laughs> oh, I could probably take them down better than a four-pack of chocolate ones. Yeah, I, I imagine that would be far too. They'd be be far. That'd be far too much. I'm more of a donut guy. You are, because you you still owe us a world record attempt. Yeah, I mean. You didn't say you didn't want to be filmed, which was quite counterproductive. 
Yeah, I know, but I just, do you know what I mean? You don't need somebody who looks like me trying to do that on film, do you? It's just like an urban legend that we have. Look, we don't have any evidence, but Keenan did genuinely beat this record. No, no, we, we, we all know. I just don't, like, look look at... It's the Pelé record. It's just like, <laughs> it's happened, no, right? I'm trying to eat the thing with no hands. Like, it's not going to look good. It's going to look like the shittiest game of hungry hippos in the world. <laughs> Um, as you weren't here we did make a business decision and we did decide on Piranha 1 and 2 for episode 150 that's on you and I think think I must have not been here for this bit either so I think Luke he's making executive decisions to himself it would appear Uh, I mean you two can you two can do that I'm not sitting there watching that bullshit It, it doesn't seem uh, unfair that he would not want that. He wouldn't do the cat in the hat either, TK, if you can believe well, that. Well, yeah, I can definitely understand that. Your thing with that film is... Watching that nonsense either. Bizarre. I'll tell you what we have settled on after that we've recorded it, uh, TK, but it's not okay. Piranha 1 and 2, unfortunately. Okay. Although, I am still looking for someone to do that podcast with me, and once Keenan dropped out, um, you were high on the list, so maybe one day. Did mention Kelly Brook as an alternative for Sharon Stone here, Keenan, but decided she can't get the part. She she couldn't do it. Mainly because she's a god-awful actress. And radio presenter. Um, I like her on heart in the afternoon. Her laugh is absolutely filth, by the way. You've got to play to your strengths in Kelly Brook's shoes. It's not radio. Get a camera (laughs) in front of you. But uh, I think at some point... There was no way of saying that without sounding menacing. I was just saying, I need to have a situation where I can put Piranha in front of you and you don't have a choice but to watch it. And it just sounded a lot worse as the words started <laughs> leaving my mouth. I need there to be a somewhat of a power cut and just the only thing on TV is Piranha. Because like I said to Keenan, like a genuine film where a man replaces his legs with shotguns is the kind of moment <laughs> that this pod was built upon. Yeah, it's a valid point. I just don't want... I don't want to do that. It's only in the one if that's the issue. It, uh, it's not, surprisingly. It's, it's an it's, issue. Because be she surprised. was the main marketing point for the first one. Yeah, and that should indicate how fucking piss poor a film it is. I feel like it's kind of like a lot of the comedy films we've done where it's like it, it probably shouldn't be a masterpiece because then it probably wouldn't have the same effect but but, yeah, but I begrudgingly I like, I understand like some of them. I like some of them I don't I don't like this yeah, it's somewhat though. scary that I'm more inclined to watch it back now that you've said this <laughs> <laughs> that's in the sequel so you really need the first one for the payoff yeah, like that's not true <laughs> well, I don't think because the word payoff has ever been put together I mean, in these films. I feel like spoilers aren't damaging the film here, but no, if no, you no. put two and two together, there's a reason he doesn't have legs and he gets shotguns to take out piranhas. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I sort of put that bit together when you said when you used the word replaced. So that's just that, that's why you need the first film as well, just to really have the build up at the moment. Yeah, we probably wouldn't get the complexity of the plot without it. So. Well, I'm just telling you, the hype you will have, um, I've seen all these Marvel ones in the cinemas where people react. Um, we were standing up, like, pumping your chest at the climax of the second film. Like, it, it is that good. Um, as I long need as to it's just your chest. That's <laughs> fine. 
I need to rewatch them as well. No, uh, I think we had a news in a week a while back. Uh, you don't want to be doing that kind of thing in a cinema, or just in public in general, I would say. Once upon a time, that was a thing. Maybe in general. Yeah, at one point there were cinemas dedicated to it. Yeah, you got to look. The porn industry wasn't what it was. You had to get out. I bet you see Jack Nicholson in the cinema in his trench coat. About 100 miles. I thought you purposely called him Jack Nicholson, and I thought that's a <laughs> no, I don't crass, know but somewhat witty. <laughs> um, a couple of bits of trivia. So, <laughs> it's my own trivia, actually. Uh, if you Google Frank Rosenthal, and ideally I'd like you to both do this now, um, the character that Ace okay. is based upon, the first picture you will see is like if a caricature artist drew a mobster pulling the De Niro face. I've seen the photo. And that's a good description, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I know the one you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, isn't it? That's excellent. Um, South Airlines for the last <laughs> The whole Jesus. film here, Ace is only in control of one casino in the film. In reality, he controls four. Yeah. How the hell was he doing this? This guy really was a great businessman. Mm. Um, Especially if he... If his wife and his friends aren't as mad, that's insane. Uh, the costume budget for the film was one million. De Niro had seventy different costumes throughout the film. Sharon Stone had forty, and they were both allowed to keep their costumes afterwards. Nice. I re- if De Niro hasn't worn that peach blazer, white trousers ever again, it's criminal. I can see you as a peach blazer, man. Well, it's funny you said this earlier because TK said he would bomb the race course if I turned up in one. <laughs> I said I'd bomb the car, whatever car you got into. No, I can see. I can see. It. I think that's a bit of you with the stash as well. Oh yeah, no. I, as soon as I pictured, I pictured the stash. Yeah, that's crucial that's part, part, of it. part of the ensemble. <laughs> um, White trousers, I think, is a little bit beyond your mate. But <laughs> <laughs> for Blackson, um, Scorsese's says he directed this movie in such a way that in every scene uh, Pasquale Cajano was in as Remo, there's a bright spotlight shining down upon him, but no other cast members in the scene. Just to show you the power that these mob bosses had, even above these guys that look like they're on such a level out in Vegas. Okay. And if we were talking about uh, a budget and the size of it earlier, TK. The gangster gasping for breath as he's buried is played by an animatronic at the end of this. That just feels so unnecessary. <laughs> you usually do the shot, don't you, where you see them in the grave, you see one shovel of uh, sand in this instance or whatever chucked on them, and then you get a shot from behind them where they're filling the grave up. Mm-hmm. Instead here, they just have a robot to breathe as it's happening. It's so unnecessary. A bit of, bit of transfer budget left. Yeah. Get out there. Uh, the casino scenes were shot at the Riviera between 1am and 4am so as not to get in the way of the real gamblers. Although the casino didn't want the shoot to interrupt its business, that didn't prevent it from trying to lure more punters inside by putting up a large banner that said <laughs> Robert De Niro, Sharon Stone and Joe Pesci filming the new movie Casino Inside. I think you've probably surrendered your right to complain there. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. You want 
more people to come in and spend money. I don't know, but I would have done the exact same thing. <laughs> but I'm um, sure. I feel like you wouldn't want to let De Niro down once you've met him, though. So maybe you wouldn't. He just stands there with a hammer as well. Okay. <laughs> All right. Just the scenery you get in this is eye candy throughout is brilliant. The outback diners, you get the Italian supermarkets, the casinos themselves. Everything that they've spent this budget on here just exists to deliver complete immersion and it works to perfection as the film goes on. Don't disagree. We've got some more scenes where Scorsese loves his soundtracks usually, but there's also moments where he decides to to go without one and just let the scene speak for itself. Because interestingly, the scene in which Nikki starts hitting the FBI's plane with golf balls, hmm. you've got no you've got no music there, and I would think that's usually one where you get some kind of pounding blues song or whatever just to show that these guys have one-upped the uh, authorities again but they just let it speak for themselves um ace saying the feds were watching nikki play golf for so long that they ran out of gas just what i needed right in front of the control board as you hear nikki saying a hundred dollars to whoever hits the plane <laughs> we spoke about the runtime earlier tk and th- three hours is three hours and Another Scorsese comparison. I read some, uh, not even a critique really, in which it was being compared to The Departed. And they right. said, when we take The Departed, for example, whilst I love the film, you can f- uh, you can see there is a sense of impatience throughout with every scene being delivered with just too much intent. This does not allow the time for the characters and settings to brew and develop organically. Is that something you noticed with Casino, did you feel any more attachment to the characters because you were given more time, because you were given more interactions with them, or do you prefer the style of The Departed in which everything's there for a reason? It probably works slightly better with The Departed. I only say it in that I think we've got a pretty good idea what Nicky is, for example. I mean, how many people do we need to see him beat up or murder or whatever to establish that this guy's a psycho same with how many things do we need to see that um that ginger is a bit of a wreck how many do we need to see <laughs> yeah. that uh the ace is a control freak i think we've kind of got the picture of them pretty quickly really and they're probably i, I like the scenes that they're in but if they wanted to cut some of it i'm sure they probably could have and you wouldn't have felt it was diminished you watched it last night i believe keenan do you take any issue with the runtime no I knew I knew what it was, and I, I, I it, it is what it is. I we knew what it was going into it. <laughs> I quite like. If, I'm not really sure what you cut or what you trim down. I think does TK suggest I think you could probably take out at least one of the ginger and ace arguments because they are largely the same thing after a while. But That's I can also see why the whole, they're all in there. The whole point of it, isn't it? Yeah. I tell you what you could say, take out is Nikki's argument with her, which is <laughs> phenomenal. Calling her a fucking pig, <laughs> and, and he slaps her. You know, this guy's fucking. I say he says so, at one point, like I've known this guy thirty-five years, and you want him? To, you want me to whack him for you? 
it is kind of bizarre as well. It's only out of Rauver who then goes to that guy. I should never have got involved with it. <laughs> yeah, you reckon? Um, oh, Adan, I meant to mention earlier actually, the balls on that kid as reference to just comes up and says to Ginger, "You're one of the most gorgeous women I've ever seen. You're a lucky man, Mister Rothstein." A polite way of saying, I would love to fuck your wife. <laughs> is, is any bloke ever taken that as a compliment? Someone coming up and saying how beautiful your wife is? I mean, one of the most gorgeous women I've ever seen. You're a lucky man is probably the tipping point. There. That's the, yeah, that's the kicker, isn't it? Oh, you either know you're a lucky man or you don't. <laughs> well, he does, he knows. Oh, um, he can't be that upset about it. And yeah, if he was calling his wife a pig, we'd have an issue. Yeah, I was, no, yeah, if he walks out because fucking hell, like he's missing his probably worse. Ace, all this money, you couldn't get me something better than that. Come on, yeah. well, Ace, oh, Ace, Ace where'd you drag that from? <laughs> well, Ace thanks the kid for the compliment, and Ginger doesn't. And then he says, He was a young kid from the casino, nice kid, bright boy. What balls in this fucking kid? The next day, I fired him. That's ruthless. <laughs> it says a lot about the guy that I thought someone believed it was just a sacking. <laughs> yeah. Nothing yeah. else happened. Well, say, same with uh, a member of Nikki's crew when I wrote this one down when we were doing his arguments earlier. When we see again a different side to gambling in this film as the film goes on, when he says, you call yourself a man, you know you're a lying, low-life, motherfucking, gambling, degenerate prick. You know, that's what you are. <laughs> Two small kids at home. I gave you money to pay the fucking rent, buy groceries, put the heat on. You know your wife called Frankie and told him the fucking heat's off. And you're sitting here telling me you didn't gamble that fucking money. You want to embarrass me, make a fool out of me, you didn't gamble. Tell me you gambled the fucking money away and I'll give you the money to put the heat back on. Did you gamble? And he probably thinks he's only ending one way in that instance, but he gives him the cash. Yeah, I mean... I Heart of gold. That's, that's a yes or no, whatever I say here, I'm dead, so you might as well, you might as well. In that situation, <laughs> you might as well tell the truth. They might respect, well, they might, might give you a quick death if I think you're telling the truth. He just wanted that honesty, didn't he? Just wanted that transparency. It's a great, I mean, little, also, great little, little runoff there when he starts absolutely rifling into him. It's Joe Pesci at his finest. Talking fast as fuck and just insulting people. Just... He's got his own shit going on, but he's like actually outraged <laughs> at this guy. Look, you've got a wife and kids at home. Yeah. To, to jump back to the relationship between Ace and Ginger, um, there's some critique that says there's no depth or nuance to a character. Um, where do you stand on that, Keenan? Um, about nuance. Because it's played pretty, it's played pretty much with a straight line. Like you say, like CK said, you find out she's a wreck and she's a bit of a mess early on. No real redemption or redeeming features to her, barring the fact that she's Sharon Stone. <laughs> um, but depth, they don't do like you say. They don't do a lot of. They don't go into a lot of the backstory. You could, I mean, that's we're talking about cutting stuff. But if you're going to, if you wanted to throw in another scene to give her some character depth, you go into the background, wouldn't you? Um, she, she's very plainly out for, out for all she can get. And yeah. I mean, to her credit for the world that she's arraigned, then fair play to you. You've got to do what you've got to do, haven't you? Well, TK, I know the Goodfellas comparisons are tiresome, but again, it's a good reference point. I feel like, 
I feel like um, Scorsese wanted us to love the characters in Goodfellas, whereas I'm not sure he even wants us to like anyone here. Mm. Yeah, it's difficult because obviously Ginger is a big part of this film, so it's not like she. I know the point they're making about depth, but I do think she's obviously she is prominent in this. It's not just a, a female character they've just thrown in, as you've touched on earlier. Yeah. But in contrast, obviously, compared to like Karen, who's obviously a, a big character, but also yeah, you do actually with her more. Yeah, you do actually like her. Whereas uh, I don't think you really like Ginger, as Keenan said. If it's not Sharon Stone, you, you might really despise it if they got the wrong actress in there. Well, a lot of the um, comments about this film are people saying, I hate her character so much. And then the reply is almost always, isn't that the point? Mm. It is the point, yeah. Like, you're not supposed to come out of this going, oh, I really felt for her character. because. And let's face it, it's testament to the power of De Niro and Pesci, because you should probably hate their characters as well, but they've just got enough about them that you're like, you kind of feel familiar with them and you love them. That's, I was going to try and word the question in a way, but it doesn't really make sense. It's almost like if you had the men in black thing and you had no clue who De Niro and Pesci were, uh, do you then, is there a character you like in this film? Because a large part of the reason you like them is it's Pesci doing what we know and love Pesci doing and the same for De Niro. I don't know. Ace, I don't. Do you, do you, I don't think you come out. You don't hate him completely. No, but do you like him? When you realise he survives, yeah, yeah. when you realise he survives his car going up in flames, do you feel a sense of relief? Yeah, a little. Nice at the end when he's lit, when he's living. Oh, he's still making making a bit. I so, sympathise with him in the film because. Essentially, his downfall is entirely because he marries the wrong woman and because his best friend is mental. And essentially, <laughs> he has false sense of loyalty to both of these people. Yeah, that's, that's what it is, isn't it? Like, he marries it's, the wrong woman who puts him in all sorts. His best friend is a fucking scumbag who ends up knocking off his missus. And then he ends up banging, he almost dies twice because of that. <laughs> and they both, when they're having this sort of illicit affair, Basically, it all just stems. They're all. They're both just saying back to each other how much Ace has fucked up and how much he's changed. <laughs> You're like, what the hell? You two are the ones that have created this whole mess. He hasn't done anything. It's, if you line he, up, he, he suffers from. He suffers from a fair amount of fair amount of hubris, though, to be honest. With the TV, do you know the TV show was a real thing? Uh, I do, That's and crazy. I know the character was very offended by the way that was portrayed. <laughs> yeah, the TV show. He just used to pop it on. Just used to throw it like when he wanted. He just like get a, get a studio going and be like, yeah, we we'll do it tonight. Oh, what is it like a hiding hide in plain sight kind of thing? Well, the TV show. Yeah, is it like hour. ensure that like, if anything happens to me, I'm almost too big that people won't ask questions here? No, no. A lot of it was just to piss off the gambling board in Vegas. <laughs> Fair play. When he, when they kept removing, revoking, investigating his license because his license got fucking spun about three times couldn't run a casino and he could run a casino and he, he couldn't and he came back in a different role didn't want to pay off the right people well he, he he tried but he just he got too big and the operations got too big that they were like yeah we're struggling we're just struggling to hide it um <laughs> basically they were making that much money and fucking ripping that much money for it the fbi were like the fbi were asking for years to um, jump sorry no, go on, the idea by the way that you can look after a casino whilst they're approving your application and there's 10 yeah. year ways how i can't see any issues there can't see that there's ever going to be a <laughs> no. problem they say like obviously they go for it in the film but he was the so he's got food and because 
so I used to work was if you you had to have like a meaningful I don't know what they called it it's like a portion control or something or you have to you get to a certain level where um you have to be a, you have to have a gaming license and also they wouldn't they had already revoked it so he came back as the food and drink director didn't he yeah um, for, for years and then he was just running it behind the scenes and basically pissed off he sort of he had a falling out with the lad who was in charge when I realised I was doing air quotes when you can't see me. Um, <laughs> quote, quote unquote in charge. Um, and it was it. He seemed to ended up accidentally grassing up, and they were like, "Oh no, it all goes for a race." And they were like, "Well, I fuck basically this one was like, why the fuck does that work? Why is the lad who sorts out sorts out your beers and sorts out like sorts out your food? Why are you running? <laughs> why are you running the like proper business decisions by them?" And then they were like, well, "I can't be right." And they went through the full investigation. Jump ah. on what you said about the characters, TK, and being likable. When you think the two other Scorsese films we've mentioned today, being Goodfellas and Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort and oh, I knew the name of the character in Goodfellas, Henry Hill, are both far worse people mm-hmm. than he is in this, and yet we find ourselves rooting for the pair of them you so much more. Jordan Belfort in the Wolf of Wall Street. I think I th- I think you root for, you root for him in there. I think even when he's going to go to prison, you're rooting for him to get out of the situation. You you ultimately do enjoy seeing the downfall, but you at least have more of an attachment to the character than I think you do with Ace in this. I think with Ace, you're kind of along for the ride and Ace you go where it takes you. Ace does charm me. I I don't think it's in the set. I think if Scorsese had wanted us to be completely charmed by him, I think he would have ensured that fact. I think there's a real calculated choice to not make us fall in love with this character. Because I don't think it works with Sharon Stone's character. I think we need to see the whole thing going on and almost... You know the football manager analogy. it's, It's more like playing football manager than FIFA and you do need to see everything going on, but he wants us uh, to have that role rather than being so close with it that you're hating Sharon Stone's character and you're really rooting for either side. I think it's more just you see what's going on and you don't really have a dog in the race. Sure, I think with De Niro, you could have made him far more likeable if you'd wanted to. I assume that's trying to be closer to the actual character, I guess. Presumably, yeah. if he's, he's everything sort of, if he's everything as like a bet where he's analysing everything, he's a very analytical character. Maybe he's that there's a bit more of a coldness to him that you that's, wouldn't be. That's what I mean. Attached. I don't think yeah. Scorsese wants us to like him that much because I, that's yeah, what maybe. I mean. I think from what we've seen with his characters before, if he wants us to, then ultimately we'll, we'll like them. Mm. Um, uh, something the director of uh, photography said here he says the camera always follows ginger when she's on screen wanting us to understand that everyone is ultimately lusting after her other than when she's at her lowest point when it comes to a battle with uh, drugs and the direction of the camera changes and it's almost like it's trying to pull away keenan i know this is the kind of thing you usually pick up on I'll be honest, I switched off when you said the phrase director of photography. <laughs> oh, what that is. Um, 
you know, it's not it's not what I'm here for. Do you enjoy the slow motion of her chucking the chips in the air more so? Overly no. Good introduction to the character. Mm. I text no, you during the Keenan saying it just made me want to buy a mink coat as well. <laughs> Despite knowing how very, Fuck very sake. hot I'd be in one of them. Um yeah, if you see me at the races next year, TK, yeah. Look the other way. A peach suit and a mink. <laughs> <laughs> They're different days. Because uh, I, I'm not sure I want to say I'm modelling my look on uh, Sharon Stone, but I did quite like the red underneath, so maybe that's the look I'll be going for. Be quite a be quite a pickaxe on the races. <laughs> is that Sharon? No, 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 no. It's not Sharon well, I'd best start saving now if I want a mink coat, to be fair. Any issue, Keenan, with the fact that we get almost no blood spatter with any gunshot throughout this film? Not really, no. Is that just yeah. something we accept for the time? No, it's just, it just didn't cross my mind. It, did it stand out to you, TK? Because in, in this point where there's the lawsuit going on and uh, they go around and take care of this woman... She gets shot in the side of the head. No blood flies out the other side. And he rests her head gently until some blood just slowly starts trickling out of her mouth. I know what you mean. But I think it's shocking enough, really, that Nikki is basically just killing this woman, this seemingly fairly innocent woman. And again, it's being used to em- emphasise just how sort of rotten and how mad he is. Um, so, yeah, that kind of was my focus more than get me some more blood in here please okay fair enough um last couple of bits on this uh in the original script lester was supposed to be shot in the desert by nikki as a favor for sam good they that. left it out or not i don't know i don't quite really like that scene as do i <laughs> nikki, nikki and lester a little bit back and forth because from what we see of Lester, he would definitely think he can kind of sweet talk his way out of that. And that's yeah. only going to make it worse for him. No, a little bit of back and forth between those two. I, I, I'm not, I, I don't think it would have gone amiss. And really, very few people in this type of film have ever had it coming quite as much as Lester does. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's remarkable, yeah. really, that he gets by. I mean, Keen- in reality, Nicky really does have a lot coming to him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, would he have ever really been able to run on this long? Probably not. Keenan, could you find a place for Ray Liotta in this film if we were going to go full Goodfellas 2? I'm not phrasing that question. Well, no, um, you weren't on at the start. It, this was a big thing when the film was released. It was being criticised with it being called Goodfellas 2, and that was the reason people were turned off by it. I See, I wouldn't be adverse to him popping up as Lester. No? I really wouldn't. Are you surprised Scorsese doesn't call back to some of his uh, trusted guys? And uh, how does Paul Salvino not make his way in this? I don't know. R.I.P. the big man. Yeah, there's just so many of them where you feel like you could have just slotted them in in some of these smaller roles. I'll make us feel a little more easy if Paul's in as well, I think. Yeah. Big dog. Um, I don't know. Was he about any? Oh, he was. Uh, yeah, he was doing okay. He was playing Henry Kissinger and Nixon. 
Although I would have liked, judging by this, I would have quite liked that they would have tried to make out like he was Jewish or something. (laughs) We just have to just go along with it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Glad they don't bring in Lorraine Bracco as uh, Ginger here. I see. I think that's. I I think that would have been too. Like I realise you're going at what you're saying, but I think that's that's too much. Well, it didn't seem to matter. People were ultimately turned off by it just because. I think I quoted David Spade, who went on Saturday Night Live in front of millions of people and said, Casino, I preferred it when it was called Goodfellas, and so on. Fuck David Spade, a little dickhead. <laughs> I'm sure you've picked him up on here before. Oh, that's before I knew these remarks. <laughs> Maybe I mean, that, that probably has. That probably has coloured people's perceptions a lot at that point. Going on Saturday Night Live is a pretty big thing. That's probably yeah. pretty big. The news that I sent you earlier on, we were very complimentary about that gentleman. You saying I can't change my yeah. opinion now? <laughs> well, the bar may be on the floor, Keenan, because the quote he actually gets credit for is "Casino, casino it," and people are calling it the best one-liner that they've heard at the time. Yeah, simple times, mate. Um, but the way that, the way it is, by the, by the fact that he hasn't basically got the whole band back together, he can at least yeah. push back on the. This is a good film. Well. This is you can say it's a standalone film, even if there's obviously some similarities with De Niro and Pesci and etc. Whereas if you got all them back together, it's going to be very, very hard for him to push back on that. Couple more Goodfellas-centric questions. Um, is there anything they could have done to elevate this to the level of Goodfellas in your eyes? I don't know. I, I'm not sure if the store is. That's that's the question. Yeah. I'm not sure if this store is, is, is captivating, which is strange because is it too grand a scale? It's far. Mm. You think Goodfellas only becomes a, only becomes famous because the book happens, and it happens because it becomes a grass. Um, the stuff with like Ace and stuff was big news at the time. Like it made news and stuff. That was their whole point about possibly trying to knock him off was was that he was in the news and he was drawing attention to places that they didn't want attention. To be drawn to. Um, Sorry. No, no, go on, please. Do you think if, say, the point where his car blows up, Mm. say that's midway through the film, and we've got a section of this film of him suspecting that it's Nikki that planned this, him trying to work it out, him putting things in place, and that's a point then where we really do have a reason to get behind him, and we do have a real reason to turn on Nikki in this instant as if we didn't already. Is there something there because? When I text you about it on uh, Sunday, Keenan, and got a rare compliment from you, um, sure. I, I said that the film, uh, as much um, as it gave us basically a, a few characters to root for, it just didn't feel like it had the same charm as other Scorsese pictures. And you're all in early doors with Pesci and De Niro, but the main charm is really Vegas. Yeah, I don't know if that's. I don't know. Maybe that is why it loses it. I think Goodfellas is a little more localized. Um, it's hard to describe why it's not the same. I mean, so many of the, so many of the ingredients in the recipe are the same, but I suppose it's always it's the quantity that, that matters, isn't it? I think it's a lot more black and white in Goodfellas. Yeah. Um, Maybe, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, you know who you're supposed to like and, you know, Goodfellas somehow just feels like a lighter film to me and I don't think it's, I don't think it's the runtime. 
I think it's just a bit of an enigma, just a bit of a phenomenon that is probably, as me and TK said to start this, it, it was unfair if you went into this basing your opinion on Casino as to how you held it up next to uh, Goodfellas. So when I watched it for the very first time, that's exactly what I went in trying to do. Yeah, well, we said the same. It's, I mean, in fairness, it's mine is a lot of it. Mine was just the basis that it's probably well documented in the episodes that we've recorded that Goodfellas is my favourite film ever. Um, I'm not exactly shy about that opinion. Um, so it, it was difficult. It was like I don't know. I remember watching it for the first time, and like people were like, "Oh, you're gonna love this. It'll be amazing." And I sort of knew. <clears throat> I don't know, I had in my head that it wasn't gonna be it wasn't gonna be good fellas. I do really like I like I do really like it. It's just mm. Yeah. Is that when you when you when you when you start if actually if Goodfellas is your starting point, it's get on. This is a somewhat this is an incredibly biased opinion. Um but once you, if that's your starting point, why the fuck you top it? It's always gonna be down, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Is is the ratio off here, TK, in terms of narration to look how cool it is being a mobster? Because there's a lot of narration in this film. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot in Goodfellas, and this is like another level. Yeah, the, I guess the only source of interest would be if you, if Casino come up before Goodfellas, would people's perspectives have ever been different? Is, is the only thing because sometimes people will just go well, the earlier one is the better one in this case it's objectively a better film than Casino there's no getting around that but it'd be interesting to see if that had changed the perception of of these two films just on the, on the timeline I think some of the things with Goodfellas as well there are just so many scenes in there that are iconic whereas for all I really like this film I don't know how many iconic scenes it's really got I think if it's the other way around I think the narrative is that You've taken everything we liked from Casino and given and given us more of it in Goodfellas. Agreed. I think potentially then we might have ended up reversing things in our mind that actually Casino is a better film than we thought. You say Goodfellas, they got it even better with the second one. Goodfellas is a better film, but actually look how great this original one was as well. So whereas doing it this way, it just it doubly feels worse because we've already had Goodfellas. There are people that do have that opinion and it does feel very much like the two Very years ago saying Firmino was actually the best, uh, the most important, the best player of your front three. Mm. It was like, he's not better than Salah and he's not better than Mane. Is he? Like, let's mm. not do this. Um, maybe it's closer to the Mane-Salah thing. I'm not too sure. Uh, yeah, something they left out of this that was actually quite cool. Um, in real life, Lefty was... Lefty Rosenthal was pulled out of his car by Secret Service agents to sort on fire. They were scouting the building that Lefty was leaving from because Reagan was scheduled to make a speech there in a day or two. <clears throat> Everything linking up there, surely that would have been a great little detail to include in the film. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, obviously, there's the big bit about the specific car he owned and stuff as well, isn't it? Yeah. And we just the ending here. We've got. Is this 
a signal of what he wants to do at the end of Gangs of New York when the ending here, where it's essentially, look at how this place has changed. It's never going to be as good as it once was. This beautiful place. The town will never be the same after the Tangiers. The big corporations took it all over. Today it looks like Disneyland. And while the kids play cardboard pirates, mummy and daddy drop the house payments and juniors college money on the poker slots. In the old days, dealers knew your name, what you drank, what you played. Today it's like checking into an airport and if you order room service, you're lucky if you get it by Thursday. Because it's a similar message, isn't it, with this and Gangs of New York? It's a similar message in Goodfellas as well. Mm. the end of goodfellas to me was more about henry than the setting they were in whereas this feels far more like yes you've enjoyed this film but there's a far bigger picture here i mean it's all from then to now i mean the the end of goodfellas is him giving a speech about the change of granted in a legal way of life but then again so as much as gangs in new york um, it's a we we ran everything. So we did yeah. money we stole from the airport, we paid off cops, we paid off judges, etc., etc. And now it's all gone. I think my thing there was that with the three, the the Goodfellas one feels far more personal to Henry, whereas the ending of these two feels very much like. Uh, it's the same thing on a grander scale. That's what I mean. So it, I think it's more about the setting than the person, whereas the Goodfellas one. F- Maybe it's just because of how we feel about Henry in the moment, but it feels more of a personal message than the grander one. And it doesn't quite have the same backdrop to go with it. They give you the full montage in there in this. They do, but that's again that's to do with the locality of the crime. Your man was operating in in, basically in Brooklyn and in Brooklyn and in Queens, whereas this was Vegas. A lot of the negative reviews call this a montage movie. I think that's harsh. Mm. I do think that's harsh. I, I don't know. I think, I think again. I think this suffered. This this was a a victim of of its own success or of their success, I suppose. Always going to be able to follow up Goodfellas, especially when it's mm. one, maybe one two projects removed for everyone involved. Anything else to add on this before we move on to our second film? Uh, I assume we've done the head and the voice. Yes, yeah. Did the head and before, the in the pan. Yep. And the only thing uh, I wanted to say was uh, for you, was De Niro referencing the French dancers like Lacazette. He just call, <laughs> call them all fat, the pig. Yeah, Lacazette. He he doesn't want De Niro testing his body fat. We could have done with him actually. Yeah, uh, <laughs> at London Colney. Uh, I've not finished it yet, but recently I think it was Sunday. Maybe I started watching the. Um, it was ruined my day. The Arsenal documentary. <laughs> I said, yeah. "Seems like a great guy." That's fun. I've been told mm. it turns out not to be so. He's apparently he's gripping people up on the training ground. I could have told um, you about that before even seeing <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't know. I was just saying, though, so far, Aaron Ramsdale having a bad day, players walking past him, like, is that, hey. He does seem like a, he does seem like a great guy, like, give him some undue stick. Poor guy. And he had a few undue me. donuts, that was part of the issue. Oh. I'm, only three, I'm only three or four in. And uh, you don't need to answer, but um, 
I will just assume that you've been listening to mine and TK's uh, follow-up podcast to each episode. No need to answer. Um, <laughs> we'll assume. Let's go on to boys. I, mean, I, w- I will answer and say no. No, no, no. no, 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 no. <laughs> we'll take. We'll take you. We know. We know. Who's uh, going to time stamp that bit? We, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. Um, boys in the hood. Five minutes away from your nice, safe neighborhood. There's a war going on. And the news isn't covering it. Either they don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. Boys in the Hood. It's the kind of news that usually gets buried. Rated R. follows the lives of three young males living in the Crenshaw ghetto of Los Angeles, dissecting questions of race, relationships, violence, and future prospects. This was my first time seeing this. Was this anyone else's first time seeing this? No, sir. Seeing this two or three times. Okay. With all due respect to the film, we have just done two hours on Casino. I can probably, well, no probably about it, it's not going to be two hours on Boys in the Hood. <laughs> There's a longer run time to that one, so that's your reasoning. Critics reviews key. My phone battery left, so just do make that information what you <laughs> Six zero. One six. One get a charger. Jeez. Oh. Um, critics reviews. What do you think they thought of this film? Loved it. The story is laid out with the simplicity of a naive morality tale, but it's not in the least boring. Boys in the Hood is a passionate drama shot with fluency and style, a study of what amounts to life during wartime, with people grimly used to gunfire and helicopters thudding overhead. It feels like it should be cheesy and manipulative, but the utter sincerity lifts it immeasurably. It's always a risk to proclaim a new force in film based upon just one film, but Boys in the Hood is good enough to suggest that John Singleton is going to be a major player for a long time. Now, this isn't quite Isaiah's baby, but he does struggle to hit the heights of this film again, understandably. Mm. Yeah, it's a good goes here, though. Most notable ones, uh, Shaft, Too Fast, Too Furious, and Four Brothers. Mm-hmm. Was also a producer on a couple of decent things. He directed a Michael Jackson music video as well. Um, alongside Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs, this was the most astonishing and hard-hitting directorial debut of the 1990s. 24 at the time, by the way. Yeah, real young. <clears throat> no one ever Crazy. asked me for this at all, wasn't it? Yeah. Youngest ever. Mm. So, a big part of this film and why it proved to be as successful as it was was ultimately due to representation. Um, just from doing some reading beforehand, they say this came out in an era of um, like black exploitation movies where films would be made cheap just to tap into black audiences for nothing more than to make money. Um, the money coming in ultimately tells Universal to start making an effort. After years of grinding away, they do take a chance, six million budget on this 24-year-old. 
and he delivers all that and more. For context, I saw Colors came out in 88, which put a light on the um, Latino street gang crisis and introduced people to Ice-T. Do the Right Thing came out in 89, which resulted in Public Enemy blowing up and perhaps explains why uh, Singleton turns to NWA to pick up Ice Cube, but we'll speak about it in a minute. But in terms of the representation, like the first quote they use in the trailer is the either they don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. And that's pretty much the theme of the film. Yeah. It's a banger of a quote. Uh, yeah, uh, Furious says, why is it there's a gun shop on every corner in this community? I'll tell you why. For the same reason, there's a liquor store on almost every corner in the black community. They want us to kill ourselves. And just from listening to people who lived in and around the area, they say that this could not have been a better representation. The helicopters you hear overhead, that's not something they they rented out. They were just quite literally flying overhead as they do constantly throughout the day in Los Angeles. And rather than have it be a hindrance to the filmmaking, they just decide to adapt it into the picture and, uh, that's why you can see genuine reactions from the people on screen because they don't even know when these things are going to start flying overhead. Nice. Ice Cube was John Singleton's first choice for Doughboy. He says he approached him at a concert a couple of times and Cube was reluctant to audition via a screen test. He later encouraged Ice Cube to write screenplays um, just based on his rap lyrics and that resulted in Friday being made nice Ice Cube owns the gold Chevrolet that his character drove in the movie and a sign of the time Singleton originally wanted the members of NWA as part of Ice Cube's entourage in the film his departure from NWA over a salary dispute and a lot more resulted in a feud and forced Singleton to recast the roles for his entourage and so when you look back, you get the scene of the guy that snatches uh, his chain, one of his crew's chains, and that he's wearing an Easy E t-shirt and is then shooed in by everyone. Ah, uh. I didn't. I didn't know. I don't know if either of you can say anything about this. There's no link between Boys in the Hood, the Easy E song, and Boys in the Hood, the film. And I couldn't see that there was any issue surrounding that, but I didn't know if you knew anything anything different. I assumed it was just a reference to it or a play on it, but I don't... The fact that you said now that it was obviously at a time where he was in a dispute with NWA, yeah. I don't know if that would change it. I had always just assumed that it was some sort of just play on it, or I don't know. That does mean I've been listening to NWA all afternoon. <laughs> Just got a bitch is a bitch stuck in my head. Applies quite nicely to <laughs> Casino, actually. <laughs> if um, only Ace had listened to that. <laughs> exactly. Just trying to think where to start Start here. Let's talk about John Singleton first before we go through the film. So, 24 at the time, Columbia Pictures wanted to make the movie but wanted someone other than Singleton to direct it. He says that only he could do it and told them, hell no, I'm not going to let somebody from Idaho or Encino direct a movie about living in South Central Los Angeles. They can't come in here and cast it and go through the rewrites and know exactly what aesthetics are unique to this film. 
probably a fair point, no? Yeah, he based a lot of this on his own personal experiences. He says uh, he based Trey's or Cuba Gooding Jr.'s childhood on his own. His own father was a mortgage broker like uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character. And when he was 12, he moved in with his dad in South Los Angeles. Um, and his dad steered him out of uh, trouble and got him to go to college. And then, as we've said, he gets a 6.5 million budget. Then in 1991, to make a $56 million film. So all goes to plan. Something he says about his own filmmaking, he says the movie was shot in sequence. Uh, he says, if you watch the film, the camera work gets better as the movie goes on because he finds his foothold as a director. He says, much like when Furious is cutting Trey's hair, he tells him, I'm not getting old, I'm getting better. And that was how he felt as the film was going on. I suppose so. I mean, first, first time out. Yeah. You know I mean, it, it, I suppose it's, it's, it's more odd to comment on it than for it to be a thing because, I mean, it makes complete and utter sense. If you're shooting for 12 weeks and you're your first time out, you, you know, imagine if you shoot in sequence, it applies everywhere. You, as you grow into the, as you grow into the theme of it, and one shot becomes another, becomes another. Yeah. You, you, you style and you can pick and you, you know what matches up with what you've done before. The other casting they get in this film then after NWA dropping out and the other characters. Um, Reggie Green, who plays Chris as an adult, is paraplegic in real life. His paralysis, like his characters, was the result of gun violence. He was hit by a stray bullet at the age of six. Oh, God. Will Smith was considered for the role of Trey, but turned it down due to his commitment to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That feels like a fantastic choice because we would quite literally have had him being moved away because of one fight and his mum getting scared. <laughs> well, surely that just would have been cooked by everyone watching. To the point you'd probably have to change the circumstances in which he ends up there. I don't I, <clears throat> not sure. I, like, obviously before my time, was, I assumed the French Fresh Prince was massive at that point. From... The knowledge I do have, I think it took off fairly quickly to the point where if Will Smith's being considered for the lead role, it at least means it's because Fresh Prince is doing well enough. Mm, I suppose so. Um, Eddie Murphy was considered for the role of Furious Styles over Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, blimey. Too, too little age gap, though. There's only seven years between Cuba Gooding and Lawrence Fishburne. Blimey. My guy Lawrence. Rough upbringing. <laughs> he's so good in this. He is. We'll go a little bit on him in a minute. He's Lawrence Fishburne. He's meant to everything. <laughs> that works. Um, one of the craziest stories. So Lloyd Avery II, who plays the gang member that shot Ricky, became a member of the Bloods after the movie's release. He was re- he was arrested in real life in connection with a double homicide, sentenced to life in prison and was killed on the evening of September 6th, 2005, by his cellmate. That's really just scratching the surface. If you do Google his name or YouTube his name, his entire story is just mental. Jeez. a gang member after this comes out. I was, after the film, I was about to say, yeah. after. That is, that's the reverse. The lesson hasn't been learned from the film yet. Watching your character, like playing someone who died, I don't know. Hey. Do it. You don't know what to say. Sciences are like outside, I suppose, but that is wild. 
No, they, they don't make. Sorry. You would have thought you'd end up in this film because you used to live that sort of life and you <laughs> thought, I'm getting out of it. Instead, you thought, I'm getting into it. They don't make much of it in kind of driving this home in the film, but when little Doughboy gets arrested, um, the kid that says to Ricky, yo man, what happened, is supposed to be the one that grows up and shoots him. Um, they just don't really drive that home. If we go to the start of the film, the scenes in which they're 10 years old. I'm not always a fan of the kind of flashback kind of stuff, but I'd quite happily have had a whole scene of, of these kids just in their Atlantics. Fair enough. <laughs> 1984, it's set. 10-year-old Trey Styles living with his mum, gets in a fight at school. At this, I mean, the teacher's got a lot to answer for here, to be honest. Um, <laughs> She calls his mum and says, although he's intelligent, he's immature and lacks respect. She gets frightened and sends him to uh, live with her dad, live with his dad. And then we get these scenes of them on the block together, cruising around. And the, the one that's maybe the most important for the entire film in terms of teeing things up is when this group of kids or the group of older kids approach them and take their football. Mm. and you kind of get a vision of everything in here in that you've got Doughboy at this point already knows the kind of streets and how this works and he's telling him that he should never have taken the ball out with him you've got Ricky being very passive understandably in the circumstance and his brother having to stick up for him and Everything is just kind of a precursor. The guys that get themselves in trouble and arrested, the guys that do the same all of the years later. And it set, sets things up. In terms of the taking the football, I saw some critique and some conversation around it that you get too many of these scenes in films in which there's a group of kids like this and there's never one that says, come on, give them their ball back like they do in this film. And this is probably the most accurate depiction in that if you do have a group of, what, 10 lads, at least one of them is probably going to realise what you're doing is a bit harsh here and say to give the ball back to, what, some 10-year-old kids? You'd like to think so, yeah. And so they actually got some praise for doing that in this film and not just having it like every group of kids that's on the... Every older group of kids are just like barbarians. Also realistic depiction that He's about to give it back. You can tell he is. And then the one kid just gets too mouthed. He's like, oh, fuck it then. <laughs> that is how, how many groups would end up doing like that, where someone doesn't read the situation and starts mouthing off and then they get a mug for it. If only Harper was here to talk about having your uh, football nicked. <laughs> that becomes a, becomes a therapy pod. <laughs> he didn't get his back. Um, the, ref, the reference went way over my head. We did it when we did the Taken pod on here, when we went to Lille with school. Some, That's uh, fucking ages ago. I don't remember last week. Some some Albanian kids took his took his football off him. I thought he got mugged. He did as well, but they took his football they took his football first and booted it Fl- away. Fluctuates between Albanian and Algerian as well, I noticed. Maybe the football was someone else's, actually. 
It was the same group of kids. Yeah, Jack was definitely mugged. I got lucky this happened to Harper yeah. twice. Jack was definitely mugged. I think there's someone else had their football taken and these kids were just on a rampage. But yeah, um, Jack was being mugged while I was riding a French Ferris wheel. So you can maybe see the differences in character while we were at school. Wondered where that was going. I was having a nice little, uh, I think I had a nice bracelet made on that trip as well, actually. Um, and they put, they put an Italian flag in there rather than a French one, so it didn't really work. Um, <laughs> back to the film. One of the things the director says he was really keen to drive home was this character of the racist policeman. In it being that just, it isn't just racist white people they're fighting against but a lot of these people in the positions of authority which is why they have the white police officer that's very civil fully ripped off 15 years later for something drugs <laughs> and i mean you've got a number of quotes here what there's something wrong it's too bad you don't know what it is brother and what the same policeman years later sticking it on tray That police officer hasn't changed in the 15 years. Meanwhile, Trey's become Cuba Gooding Jr. Nor's uh, Lawrence Fishburne, to be fair. <laughs> they make a bit of an effort to age him, at least. The so you get some facial hair, don't they? Mm, the cop didn't even bother. I thought the way in which they handle the transition to it being seven years later was far better than they do in other films, where there would be some gigantic banner up saying, welcome home from prison, just in case you didn't work that out. <laughs> and even the conversations would just feel a bit more forced. Like a lot of the details are just kind of dropped in passing enough, blatant enough that you aren't going to miss them, but not like they're slapping you in the face with it and going, come on, this is exactly what's happening. Understand this so we can move on. Yeah, the whole barbecue scene right, was a good way of laying out what these characters have become, really, isn't it? Yeah, you see the the difference in the way uh, the mum deals with Doughboy and Ricky. Uh, you've got... That's Cuban <laughs> introduced with Domino's motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so isn't this where we have the conversation about whether you can get AIDS from head? This was, yeah, that's probably the funniest dialogue in the film, really, that. Someone should have that conversation with... Uh, Nicky Casino. <laughs> Nicky will look for no, no, you can't get anything from this. Come on down there. Do recall people still asking that question like when we were at school, so it clearly didn't travel uh, very well. I guess the fact they don't actually answer the question in this, he, he at the end says, Can that happen? And they kind of give him a look. So, do you remember a girl asking that in sex ed class and everyone just sort of turned him over like, You filthy, <laughs> we know what you're getting up to. <laughs> I remember when we did sex education at school, everyone had to put these little questions in a thing. And then the teacher, who was a very like hippie teacher, essentially answered just every single question on this list. And it was the ones like uh, yeah, if a girl if a girl stands well. if a girl stands up immediately after then can she still get pregnant and things like this. Scientific fact. No, she can't. That's it. Well, Gravity's doing its job. It 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 got to the point where I'm the amazed that people actually did ask that. Yeah, whatever age, it's incredible. Just told this really strange anecdote of him, him once falling someone? asleep while having sex. <laughs> oh, so falling asleep. Yeah, with no context, no explanation, and then 
just kind of letting it hang for a minute and then just continuing with whatever the next weird question was. Went to Catholic, went to Catholic school, man. There wasn't a lot of it. <laughs> Genuinely. My brother coming home thinking uh, vagina was called a china. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I could that's catch on. on. That's on another podcast, I think. Um, yeah, yeah we've got I mean, there's a lot of different storylines in this. We've got this little, like, American Pie-style storyline with Ricky being scared to get his end away and then being incredibly desperate to do so while his girlfriend is saying she needs to get married first. Are we supposed to believe his story about the girl that he just happens to pick up on the side of the road, or are we supposed to be calling bullshit there? I think you're supposed to be calling bullshit, mate. Yeah, because it did it did seem a bit too uh, be nice of his dad to indulge it, though. Yeah, so it's a it's, it's a little bit bang bros, isn't it? Even in his made up story, he's not rubbering up. <laughs> <laughs> that still had to be too cool for his dad. She was on the pill. <laughs> um. Okay, so as the film progresses, we have a lot more of these uh, incidents. There is a street racing gathering, which is the beginning of the end. Ricky is provoked by a Bloods member. In defense of Ricky, Doughboy flashes his handgun, which leads to an argument between the gangs. After they leave, Trey and Ricky are pulled over by LAPD, and the lead officer is the one who responded to the burglary years before. The officer holds his gun at Trey's chest and threatens him. Distraught, he goes to Brandy's house where he has a breakdown. At the end of the night, do you think he's calling that a, a failure or a success? What do you mean? Well, ultimately, he's been, we're led to believe, pestering his girlfriend to sleep with him for months on end. He has a gun pulled on him, and that's basically yeah. the turning point. Where she, all right, well, if that's happened, then fair so enough. So it was all worth it. Well, I'm asking him. Uh, well, I can't ask him. Um, <laughs> but I wonder if when he wakes up the next morning, which is more prevalent in his mind, the fact that he had a gun pulled in by a police officer, or... He's finally works his way in with Brandy. He didn't get killed, so I, all's well that ends well, maybe? Yeah, basically, uh, basically yeah. You're, just... you're effectively asking us if we would have a go forward <laughs> on this just to get our end away. It's effectively what you're doing. I know what you're getting at. Desperate times call for desperate measures, but she... I'll share my hand. She, she, she basically... He cries in front of her and she's like, well, if you're going to be vulnerable in front of me, then that's good enough for me. Hey, look, for all she knows, he could have made that up. <laughs> he could have. Um, there's a lot, uh, a lot of the actresses in this film do go on to be... Uh, Neil Long. Yeah, her in particular. Being uh, like poster caliber for this generation. Um growing up, her in particular. The the cast that 
they managed to get together here, considering it is his debut role. Cuba Gooding Jr., Lawrence Fishburne, Ice Cube, Angela Bassett, Neil Long, several others. He does very well. I don't know how much uh, influence the studio had in doing the casting or how much it was down to him, but if that's him as well, then this was like just using up all of his chips on his first film. That's a good context for a 24-year-old if he is. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Ricky and Doughboy, we have the maybe the most preventable fight in film history. <laughs> Ricky has a fight with Doughboy. Brenda takes Ricky's side and berates him. Brenda then asks Ricky to run an errand. He tries to ask Trey to do it, which maybe just go to the shop yourself. It's not that big of a not that big of a deal. Just go around the corner. Was it cornbread he has to go and get? Mm. On the other hand, I feel like when he says fuck you to Doughboy, you can maybe take that on the chin. He's been waiting for that moment to swing. <laughs> and that is, that is a thing. Oh, I remember... I've, I've told this story before. Me and my brother used to fight a lot. And I remember the point... What year I was in. But a point where it really just drove home how much bigger I was than him. and And how much stronger I was in this moment in which you probably shouldn't want to fight with me anymore. And I remember him trying to wind me up in the middle of the night and trying to wake me up. And I just threw a, a famous jab out there <laughs> and caught him just bang in the eye. Didn't think anything of it at the time. He got back into bed, whatever. Woke up in the morning and he just had this proper, like not just a black eye, but like a puffy black eye, like eyeball red, black all around his eye already. He tried telling my mum that he got caught by a tree the night before, which is still the worst excuse I've heard, considering <laughs> it wasn't like that in the evening. But I remember going to school and my history teacher, who taught him as well, in front of the classroom, and you know, how quiet I was at school, saying, you like to knock your brother around, do you? <laughs> taught him earlier, big black eye. You think you're really big, do you? <laughs> The teacher's now been arrested as a nonce. Um, so oh, you could say I, I had the last laugh. I mean, um, given between the two of you, your version of touching him is the best, better one. Fucking <laughs> oh, Nora, man. You have to That's feel that bit too far. Huh? That bit too far, you took that. I, uh, it made me laugh. A little bit over the edge. But yeah. <laughs> that, um, is, that, is, that what, is that not what I tend to do? Didn't want to scrap after that, so... <laughs> Honestly, everyone was a winner. Beating you're beating children, yet I'm the one taking it too far. But he was two years. He was yeah. two years younger than me. He was getting out of line, and it's the reason I. It's beating children. It's the reason I didn't go into boxing because with great power comes great responsibility. You realise the damage recently. you can do. These weapons have stayed holstered since. Retired, undefeated, and so linked back to the film. If everyone else had kept their weapons holstered, we'd have had a happy ending here. Somewhat mm. less powerful film as well, but yeah, yeah. Now, this is one 
where I felt like Keenan here because I did know the ending going in. This, as soon as I saw the character Ricky, it suddenly just came flooding back and you've seen this referenced in rap lyrics for the last 20 years in just referenced in just pop culture. And so I was waiting for this to happen. What was that, Keenan? They shot Ricky in reference for, like say, forever. Yeah. Yeah, and so as soon as I saw the character, I was like, okay, I see, I see where we're going here. Obvious. I think if you'd never heard a single reference in your life, you'd have a punt on this. <laughs> Always yeah, waiting for his, you're waiting for his SAT results. The one guy that seems like he might be achieving <laughs> something, I uh, reckon he's yeah. fucked. I don't, well, they try and tee it up, don't they? Yeah, probably yeah. The way, what they're trying to do, isn't it, is they're trying to tee up that it's Trey that's going to go down the wrong path. Because you've got Ricky that's trying to do everything right after making some wrong decisions and you've got Trey who is constantly kind of teetering on the edge of which path do I take. So that's what they're trying to do. I do understand what you say when you lay it all out like that. It does feel a lot more obvious. Uh, particularly when he goes off and hasn't opened up his test results yet. Yeah. yeah. What year does Scooby-Doo first come out? I didn't expect that. At what point do people realise splitting up is just never the move? I mean, in this case, it is infuriating as well. It makes literally no sense. This, Why does yeah. it stop for a piss? No, no, the whole situation is absolutely infuriating. It's baffling. They, they're, they're nervous enough that they've had to run off down a back alley. And now they think they've lost it. Right, there's seemingly no reason for them to go off either in a different direction. They get, right, see you then. Insane. And uh, did he need to stop for that piss? Probably not. Um, there's an entire critics review from someone that is livid about the fact that he doesn't zigzag while running. And the review is literally, everyone knows if someone's shooting at you, you zigzag. Why does he run in a straight line? Serpentine! I guess it's fair, particularly when it's a shotgun either. That's not one that you're like firing multiple shots off quickly. But I guess this was this was what had to happen to drive everything home. Maybe. Maybe. Is Doughboy's mum right to blame him? What do you think, TK? Do you feel bad for him when she's crying and slapping him and saying, this is your fault? I mean, that is pretty rough to hear, isn't it? If you're in his shoes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he has brought this trouble to that door, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he ain't the one who cheats him, but he is essentially the reason it happens. I mean, that whole, even the bit, when he flashes his gun at the guy, yeah. they just walk off and turn their back on him. That's a fucking rogue move in itself. Until they realise that they're outgunned. Yeah, that's what I mean. Just, you know, I don't know. There's, there's some bold choices being made all around here. Does the mum have anything to answer for for the quite blatant favouritism or is it she looks at Doughboy and says, look, you're a lost cause. Ricky, to this point, is seemingly has the desire to get his life to where she wants it to be. And so she figures if I have to put my energy into someone... It's going to be him. 
this is a terrible thing to say, but if I was a kid and one of them looks like, one of them looks like he's going to be a, might be a sports star. <laughs> I just saying, look, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> so so you got This guy's going to put me in a good retirement home, so you could have realised. Yeah, look, only one of them's paying for the house. <laughs> They obviously do use it's an extreme version of the device in this, isn't it? Where you know the, where the parent favors one or the other. I mean, it's the utmost extreme in this. She seems to actively dislike the one, really. He gets Nick when he's ten, and I think she just she's like, yeah, fuck this. He's jumped on out. <laughs> he's a right off. Yeah. There are some no... people online that believe that he was locked up from that point onwards and never. Well, that's just him getting out for good when. They do reference that he's been in and out. I don't know what he could have done at that point at 10 to be locked up for seven <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah. I don't know. Because he, he they say they're going to do some shoplifting, don't they? Yeah. Murdered they, the guy who took his football. They get caught, they get caught nicking, they get, basically get caught nicking a few, like a can of coke and a couple of bags of sweets. Like, also, <laughs> just thrown out there. Feels like I should be banging him up for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can't yeah, can take a different turn. If anyone has seen Sleepers, take a very different turn. Christ, have you seen that? No, mm. I feel like you've referenced yeah. it to me about twice. I have, times. yeah. Well, I was, it's it's not an easy watch. I can get that much. It's, I'm just it's su- definitely an easy surprised watch. Just, on the right, cast that you've not just, seen it. Just a quick one. Basically, don't want to get molested and they killed a priest. Um, if you had to sum it up in about two sentences, then it's a pretty you, decent synopsis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think this is the film I think of. It's got like um, Kevin Bacon in it. Yeah, yeah, the cast. Who's so who's list? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm never. I'm not going to watch it, but I, I feel like you've told me enough. It's about good it. film. Um, I'm sure it is. It's just unlike that. There's a lot of things that are probably a good film that I'm unlikely to ever watch. I remember watching it, and when I finished it, I had the feeling of almost like when I've watched a scary film, and just that feeling of like, what do I do now? Is De Niro not in it? Yeah, he is. Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. I feel like when you tell me, oh, it's not an easy watch. I think you should know me well enough by now that you've, you've sort of ended the game there. Yeah, you're severely depressed by the end of it, and it is about two and a half hours long. So, it's, yeah, I'm depressed most of the time already. I don't need, I don't, don't need that work. Well, yeah, it's if a very you, depressing film. If you hadn't heard what we said, the way you see the synopsis and I guess the cast, I assumed it was going to be quite a roller coaster ride. Hmm. And it wasn't. It was more it's like as all a slow, rickety <laughs> train that I just cannot get off. Yeah, put that on the no list, please. No, uh, yeah, back to this. <laughs> the choice of them bringing the body home. You've got to respect it, but odd. Hmm. Well, I know they tried calling the the mum. I still think there was a better way of handling it than letting her walk into the room and just what the <laughs> hell is that on the sofa? Yeah. And I do think Doughboy is right that the kid doesn't need to see this. One hundred percent don't see it. Yeah, which is quite a sign of just how much they despise Doughboy that that was considered like something they could disagree with this seems a pretty objectively correct thing to say well 
I realized there was a point where in my head I was complaining about how much she was crying, and then I did have to check myself like, no, guys, this <laughs> is probably quite fair. <laughs> oh, she's being very irrational here. I just don't want to hear it. You can do it. Just don't want to hear it. <laughs> Not in front of me. Um, and then obviously we know that test score was going to be it's not one to be too proud I've just about got by <laughs> like me with my theory test actually that is um, but similarly yeah but the guy does say you, you only have to get this so I'm assuming it wasn't the most difficult test but fair play if he's going to go to the league he's going to go to the league but he was prepared there's a high there's a high chance you won't be The revenge mission to end this film. Angered and distraught, the remaining boys vow vengeance on the Bloods. Yes, keep throwing me. Why do they have to call the dad furious? Because he's angry. I feel there was probably a better name you could have given him. I quite like it, you know. I did think this, that means this character is just going to blow up at some point instead of actually he's just a wise elder statesman that is perfect. I did think yeah. at some point this guy's going to lose his rag. He just doesn't. They called no, him, call him like... Uh, he was called calm. You wouldn't be as interested, would you? Call him wise. <laughs> yeah. Wise. Or Bruce. Dennis. Or Dennis. Dennis Bruce. There you go. Um... So yeah, he's about to sneak out and then we just get Fishburn like flexing his muscles. And I'll go to you first on this one, TK. His character should not be as good as it is. If you put someone... What, like what, are, you, what are you giving as an average rating for his career, Keenan? What, Lawrence Fishburne? Okay. Yeah. 8.7, 8.8. All right. If you just, put a, just, stop, just spend a bit well up there. So like, think of all the things you've seen him in over the years. But Jesus, he's been there a lot. I think if you put a 7 out of 10 in this role, it can come across as incredibly cringy. I was going to say cheesy. Yeah, I, I get that. I think it's just his voice. Yeah. Very yeah, hard not to, take that, not to take him seriously. And his command. Like, I've been about justification. As That's well, the one. That's, if anyone else says that. Yeah. It sounds somewhat preachy, but his voice, man. I'm telling you, he, he could be t- he could be describing his dinner to me from last night, and I'm front and center. I was like, I'm all in on it. I've, it's entirely believable that people from that neighborhood would listen to him as well. Whereas, it's you know, when they're like, gathering around, like yeah, yeah, when yeah. they're gathering around, if it, like you said, if it's someone else, they'd be like, oh fuck off, old man. Well, that's not even his neighborhood. <laughs> he's in. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. So he's got somewhere no one, else. How does no one check the old white guy? <laughs> like, how does he get away with this? Yeah, yeah, it does seem remarkable. He essentially infiltrates the conversation to go, well, it's you lot shooting people and smoking around here. And they're like, come on now. I guess they don't want to prove his point, but even still, it's lucky they let it slide. Yeah, it wouldn't have helped to point if they all filled him in. But... <laughs> <laughs> no. um, so we get this kind of standoff where Trey is ready to go out and ride for his friend and his dad is trying to talk him down very powerful scene in 
if you were to order his scenes, the one that probably gets he gets the most credit for is the gentrification one. The one in which it, he's flexing his muscles, I would say more, is this one in where this is him showing, look how good of an actor I am. Very easy thing for him to do, isn't it? Yeah. He's meant, oh, I, oh, I get it. You're going to end up like Doughboy, or like little Chris in a wheelchair. Fully, just fully rips into all his mates as well, by the way. Just tease off on him. That is a thing, though. I can remember the whole time, no matter like which age I was, there would always be like one of my mates I would pick out. Like, if you want to be an idiot like him, <laughs> then go on. Um, I don't know if other people's parents were doing the same thing, but obviously he does that here. And no one that my mum was referring to was going out with a pistol <laughs> ready to ice someone, but. It probably hits harder here when Fishburne can uh, say you're going to end up deader in a wheelchair. Mm. Mine was you're not going to get the marks you want in your GCSEs. Yeah, well, it's part of being a kid, don't it? Yeah. Just always interesting the ones that get picked out because you don't really know until they're properly angry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, nice lad. He's a fucking prick. At the point when they're in the truck going out he jumps out the window there's a conflict of emotions for you as a viewer because and you can tell me if you felt differently call him a pussy Luke. go on you're rooting for doughboy to go and take these guys out there's the part of you that wants trey to abide by what his dad's saying so it didn't really come into consideration for me that they were going to let him just jump out the back of the car go on your way we understand so I thought it was a choice of the two and if it was a choice of the two look we're going to get these guys I was trying to think of a cooler way to say it but I've just used iced I that would have been the choice but we get both you probably it, 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 but it shows the the level of respect or the level of friendship between them that you can allow him. Yeah. That, that, and it ain't. Do you know what I mean? They understand, they understand the, the, the position. I know it's the so drive it's, home. If Trey is just like some random gang member, they're probably arguing, right, we're never talking to you again, but they've known him since yeah. he was a kid. It's a different, no, that's different it, thing. It's different. You've got to understand where, where, where they're at. I guess. And I think the whole, the whole perception of Trey, even from the moment you see him going into that barbecue, he looks a little bit like square compared to the rest. Yeah. And he just is, doesn't fully fit in with them. With his obviously dad, like he is, he is different to the rest of them. I think Doughboy must know that. I know the point they're trying to drive home is that even the fact that they've just ruined all of these guys' lives by the fact they've just killed their friend to them, that was, that was nothing. Like they've gone out for a burger in the evening. Yeah. Maybe lay low for just a night. Or at least <laughs> a bit further out of the area. Yeah. The takeaway option, maybe? Yeah, sitting there in this isolated car park waiting for this to happen. And then the moment Ice Cube gets out of the car, for one, he had to, because I thought, you can't, it's your brother here, and you're letting your mate do the hard work taking these guys out. 
he goes over like tear in his eye, New Jack City style, <laughs> telling him to look at him as he uh, kills him off. Very good scene and a great sign of what I think could have been an action movie run for Ice Cube. I'd have happily seen him as this guy that's like a vigilante after this. See Ice Cube doing it. <clears throat> young Ice Cube become an equaliser. <laughs> talking of young Ice Cube, it, it's scary when you see O'Shea Jackson Jr. now just how alike they do look yeah, at this same age. Yeah, yeah. Like him playing him in straight out of Compton, it literally looks like the exact same person. Mm-hmm. Oh no! But this the ending we do get after where they kind of have this speech on the doorstep. The ending that the studio wanted is they wanted this big bust up when Trey gets home with his dad, where he tells him exactly what's just happened and everything that goes with it. He punches the wall. And all of this. And he says that doesn't abide by anything that's happened with these characters throughout the whole length of the film. That doesn't make no. sense. No, not the conversation with them on the doorstep of them both sense. basically accepting who they both are. Because Doughboy accepts that I know this isn't the end of that. Someone's going to come back for me now. And he also accepts that I understand why you didn't have to, why you didn't want to go through that. Now go and make something better of yourself. You don't need to be in this street life. And it's a very poignant ending for what could have been handled very recklessly, and it just being the ending that you think we would want to see. And everyone goes down in a blaze of glory one of them goes on to live a happy life and you don't even get to see that do you no but i think i, I think if you show it part of me thinks if you show it it loses it will lose some of its impact what do you think about the impact of it popping up and just saying two weeks later he was murdered i think i always thought it was done not the normality The reality, maybe, but um, obviously number one, not yeah, number. Uh, number two, definitely not a black guy in the south in South Central, right? But from what you hear and what the film's trying to portray, and they talk about no one cares about what's going on in the hood, the, the normality of people who are, who are in this life, it can happen to them. You don't need like, cause let's be honest. You assume that not everyone goes out fucking Western style. Where it's, it's pistols at dawn, there are going to there have to be by sort of by averages and by things that go on, you don't get there is no moment of comeuppance or no moment of meeting your maker is shit like you're walking down the street, you get into an argument, or there's an argument that happens and someone shoots you and us. Done. And that that end the cycle of it as well, isn't it? Is that, so whoever kills him is then going to get killed, and whoever kills mm-hmm. that person is getting killed. And it's kind of yeah, I mean, never ending. Again, it's easy. But I think it's done to show the normality and the futility of it all. Yeah, there's there's definitely better examples of this, but I'll use this one anyway. Oh, Um, God. At the end of Dread, (laughs) they've gone through this massive, great thing, and then it's on to the next one, past the test, and it's just the next day. And it's essentially supposed to show that this isn't as big of a deal as it appears, appears to us for the last two hours in. 
Gangs of New York, there's an example for you. All of this has happened, and then the final thing happens, and it's like, these guy, this thing was so minuscule in comparison. And that's kind of what this, isn't it? The fact that he's killed off screen, it's like him surviving this today wasn't that big of a deal, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do a good job of not glorifying anything, really, don't they? It's all quite. I, I think so. No, because if you see, say, they do a, a flash forward again, and it's Trey, and he's holding a university degree on his graduation and his dad's in the crowd smiling and he's so proud that downplays it doesn't it because just because yeah. of the circumstances trey has that still doesn't guarantee he's going to have the life he wants to it's essentially just that he has a greater chance of it because of the surroundings he has and the upbringing he's had so yeah i initially wrote in my notes oh it was kind of like I thought, was it lazy at first no, to just end it like that? And then about within about ten minutes, I thought, no, that, that's actually probably the perfect way to do it. Mm, yeah, perfect. I don't think it's lazy. I don't laziness implies that it's a conscious choice not to do something, whereas I think this is a conscious choice to do something. Yeah, I don't think it now. It was that was just first instinct, and then mm. when I reflected upon it, uh, it sat differently with me. Um, shall we get onto the judging? Let's do it. Okay. I always say I should have this loaded up, and I never do. Eventually. Okay. Keenan, which film did you prefer? Casino. TK? Casino. I agree. Keenan, which film do you think is more rewatchable? Boys in the Hood. Okay. Yeah, tough. I don't know that. I think they're both great films. I don't know that you'd rush to rewatch either of them. Casino, because how long it is, and Boys in the Hood, because it is. Y'all left a little bit depressed and deflated at the end of it. Oh, it's, it's, um, it is hard hitting. Yeah, it certainly does send in the message. Um, I'll go with Boys in the Hood. I agree. Yeah. Keenan, best moment slash scene. I do love Ace and Nicky's argument. Which one? The one at his house or in the desert? In the desert. Yeah, I agree. That's the scene I always think of. That's the scene I always think of. TK? I'm going ahead in the voice. <laughs> yeah, fair. Does John Wick have the inspiration to kill people with a pen if. Uh... Having quite a few things like that. They've he's not there's killed a, someone with a. There's a, I can't there's a TV show where it's literally fucking nip scene for scene. Someone does it in The Sopranos as well, no? Yes. But I couldn't tell you who. Oh, but there's something else as well. How far are you in The Sopranos now? I haven't watched in a while. Jesus. Let that happen. You've got to get back in. I have a feeling I probably know which season you're on that's prompted it as well. Go on, have a guess. I don't know the exact season number without referencing something. Is it four? No, it's uh, Steve Buscemi is just coming to it. Oh, you should be well on that then. Oh, look, I've been busy. Big Buscemi. Um, well, you're busy. It's not like you've had a three-hour film to watch. Fucking dedicated six hours of my life. I, 
I missed an hour and I'm still up to like eight hours of eight hours of my week for this pub. Uh, best quote. Mine is quite simply, you motherfucker, you, and that could apply about 500 times during this. I could have the whole Nicky talk about digging holes, but, um, or I could do the, there are three ways of doing things around here, the right way, the wrong way, the way I do it. You missed me saying that earlier, Keenan, if don't want to make you too gutted. I'm not. <laughs> He'll sleep tonight. You want me to come over there and smack your face? <laughs> I, ain't your little, I, ain't, I ain't your little brother, mate. I'm running. Hey, my daughter. <laughs> Do you have a quote for me? Um, it's probably Nicky, maybe some of the laces. I've got a few that I can throw out at you. I think there's one that really, really jumps out, but. Not not over there. All right. MVP Keenan. I'm going to go Trey. TK? Yeah, this is the obvious choice, but I think he yeah, probably faced a little more turmoil. I'm still rolling with Ace. Yeah, so am I. Yeah, I completely understand. I think Trey actually managed is more successful. Is Ginger the most successful in the film? Across both? Is Ginger the real MVP? <laughs> Keenan, best side know. character. <clears throat> um, Lester. I think James Woods is fucking brilliant in this film. TK? So, uh, I can't picture him without picturing that. I don't think about Family Guy, which is terrible. So, if I set like a 50 year career in Hollywood. And yeah, Family Guy has basically become his whole shit. Incredible. Yeah, he's not too popular these days either. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to have the side character. So that, oh, yeah, Lester's got to be my shot. I mean, he just pops in every. He's very good in every scene he's in. I, I think it's the daughter. <laughs> TK Give me Frank Vincent Billy Bats nah. getting his revenge <laughs> yeah, What a guy That killing scene is brutal by the way Just the dragging of that body Just feels <laughs> extra grim I'll give you uh, Doughboy and Ace here Keenan uh, Most powerful Don Ace GK. Yeah, it is ace, but he does have Feels some. Fair. He does have some flaws that a lot of other characters in a school stage film they normally do have more power than ace has, but he's got the most in this in this particular battle. I'll stick with you, TK. Better dressed. <laughs> you got to be rolling with Casino, just <laughs> ace alone. Keenan. Yeah, that's the answer. TK, best soundtrack. This is actually a tough matchup, but uh, I did like the Casino soundtrack, so I'm going to go with that. Keenan? Yeah, it's Casino for me, mate. Agree. Ooh, surprised. 
Keenan originality. Boys in the hood. TK? Yeah, I think this one's a pretty comfortable one. Boys in the hood. Agreed. I'll sit with you, TK. Bigger impact. Probably boys in the hood, isn't it? I think. I agree. Keenan, best opening scene. Um, I do like the opens. I go casino. I do like the opens. TK? Yeah, I think it has to be casino. Keenan, best ending. It's also casino for me. I actually do like the ending. TK? Both leave you suitably sort of a bit depressed, a bit deflated. For really different reasons, though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. One you malign the loss of a, almost a criminal empire, and one is just... Well, one is quite sad, isn't it? Yeah, one feels like genuinely you probably should be quite sad, but one feels like, I'm not really sure why they're making <laughs> me sad. Basically yeah. the demise of a bunch of crooks, but I'm getting all nostalgic about how Vegas used to be better when the mob were in charge and how great they were. <laughs> I'm going boys in the hood. So it's on you, uh, TK. I'll roll with Boys in the Hood. Probably did just have a bit more power on there. And last one, TK. Best chemistry. Oh. I got a Vero Casino still. Keenan? Yeah, it has to be. I agree. So that is a big W for Casino. One. 10 4. In the end, nice. the next time we do movie madness, it will be seven psychopaths versus free fire. Not seen either, so we'll see how we go there. But thanks for listening to another edition of movie madness. If you tune in Monday, there will be an episode of 3MP. If you tune in, Thursday there will be a deadline day podcast and maybe something in between I will have some conversations with Keenan off the airwaves so thank you for tuning in we'll be back adios <laughs>